We dumped some of their kind there. What? The joints. They left the weight outside. We don't want them. Welcome to Vintage Rebellion Podcast. This is episode 82. We've spotted Eric Walkers on the North Ridge. I'm Richard Hutchinson and I'm your host for this evening. And joining me as always is Peter Davis. Good evening, Pete. Good evening, Richard. Pete, from the 29th of March, outdoor gatherings of either six people or two households will be allowed, providing greater flexibility for families to see each other. This includes private gardens. Outdoor sports facilities such as tennis, basketball courts will be allowed to reopen and people can take part in formally organised outdoor sports. So that will have happened by the time this show gets released, unless by some miracle we edit everything in about four days. <laughs> exactly. Uh, how's that going to affect you? Well, me? Um, oh, I don't know. I can, I can leave, the gar- leave the garden shed, I guess. You're going to be let out of the garden shed? Yeah, I'm get, yeah, that's why I work, isn't it? The garden shed. Mm. I get out of the garden shed and have a pint at the bottom I, of my garden. I thought that was like TR7 before you get released. Well, you know, maybe I, I've been vaccinated there. It's good. Yeah. I'm quite happy with that. I'm on some list, apparently. I'm on some endangered species list. Mm. <laughs> you don't want to be talking about the list you're on, Pete. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. Yeah. List. <laughs> so I, well, got, I got vaccinated. It's quite exciting. It's bizarrely that all the teachers in the next county to me, which is where actually I used to live, they were all got a text message on Friday inviting them to the vaccination centre on Saturday or Sunday because they had spare vaccines. Yeah, th- yeah, there was one near us with... Uh, and the one I had mine at, they they were saying, look, we've got about 200 spare vaccines first come, first served. Mm-hmm. So people just went down for a vaccine. It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Next on the list is Andy Spoons Norton. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Richard. Now, Andy, on the 12th of April, non-essential retail, personal care premises such as hairdressers and nail salons, public buildings such as libraries and community centres will be allowed to reopen. Most outdoor attractions and settings, including zoos, theme parks, will also reopen, although wider social contact rules will still apply. Driving cinemas and driving performances will also be permitted. Indoor leisure facilities such as gyms, swimming pools will also reopen, but only for use by people on their own with their household which I don't get that, because does that mean that you're the only one allowed in the swimming pool? Never mind. Hospitality venues can serve people outdoors only. There will be no need for customers to order a substantial meal with alcohol and no curfew, although customers must order, eat and drink while seated. Okay, so 12th of April, how will that one affect you? Already got uh, a couple of gigs booked in, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing my sister and her family at some as-yet undisclosed location off the M1, although if you're saying that... uh, Zoos are open, maybe a zoo, that sounds good, she's got two little kids. So I've not seen my sister since the summer. It's not seen my mum and dad now since the Christmas before last. So it's been uh, it's been a long old time for us uh, expats in the north. Hmm, and yeah, I like the way that you sidestepped all that hairdressers and nail salons and stuff. 
Right then. Um, where My nails are always beautiful, Richard, as you know. Oh, I've missed out too. You can also have self-contained accommodations such as holiday lets where indoor facilities are not shared with other households and you can also have funerals of up to 30 people. I can think of a couple already. Mm. It's good evening, Jason Smith. Good morning, man man. How are you doing, Rich? I'm doing well. So, Jason, what's the one thing that you'd like to do right now or even on the 12th of April but you still can't? Uh, on the 12th of April, I'd really like to go back to my gym. And you can. Gyms are reopening on the 12th of April. What can you? What would you like to do, but you can't? On the 12th of April, I don't know, go to a con. That'd be quite nice, but it's a bit early for that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Jason's missing his cons and he's, you know, he's, he's, he's cosplaying and all that kind of stuff. I bet you can't wait, Jason. I don't know, it's been a while since I... I'm trying to think the last time I wore cosplay. It's been... I think I, I think I put it on... I put I put my uh, Dodson uh, cosplay from Jurassic Park on briefly. Oh, last yeah, yeah. what are you up to there, Jason? When I got, um, when I got <laughs> a Barbasol can off yeah, the internet. Yeah, you just, uh, you just keep that, keep that tail to the In the back team. garden. Cosplay in the back garden. Okay, so. Jason, do you, have, uh, do you have private cosplay sessions at all at home, just out of interest? Well, of, of a sexual nature. Um, well, we don't need to go to that, but, you know, do you have other costumes that don't come out into the open, you know? Oh, Captain no, Caveman no, or something? No, all of mine have seen the, the light of day, I think. Mm. You must have a Captain Caveman costume, Jason. I remember watching it as a kid, but... I think that's your next cosplay, Captain Caveman. Captain Caveman. And I think we better so, move on from that one. And finally, we have Andy Preston. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Rich. Crikey, I was wondering where that discussion with Jason was going for a minute, but uh, yeah, <laughs> good evening, Rich. <laughs> yes, headed off nicely there. So, Andy, does the holiday abroad ban affect you much or even the £5,000 fine if you're going to go on travelling abroad in two, three weeks' time? No, not particularly. Not uh, planning on venturing abroad for a little while, not until everything's opened up and uh, nice and safe again. But uh, uh, no, uh, the, what I'm really looking forward to, Rich, uh, and I know we're going to talk about this later, two words, Echo Live. Right then, so let's move over to our key question of the show then. So this was posted on many Facebook groups and uh, I haven't really found an acceptable answer to this. So the question is, why are Wonder Bread trading cards and also other items as well I'm seeing um, heavily, um, you know, selling for high amounts such as Topps trading cards. So why these trading cards, which are available in mint condition, virtually any day of the week for 20 quid, $25 for a full set for the Wonder Bread cards, now selling for as much as £300. And there's plenty of examples on eBay of these fetching £150, £200, £300. I know that the likes of Todd Chamberlain will have you know, dozens of sets of these in immaculate condition, and he couldn't shift them for $25 for you know such a long time. So... Why is it now? So, Andy Payne, I want to come to you first. Um, what on earth is going on? Why are Wonder Bread trading cards, which are selling for, you know, £20, you know, even as, as much as, like, a month ago, now suddenly £300? And on top of that, um, Todd Giganti on Facebook was selling the shelf talkers. I think I think it was the shelf talkers. He was selling the shelf talkers for about $25. I've seen one of them go for, like, $200. He's got boxes and boxes and boxes of them. So, what's going on? I think it's COVID craziness, isn't it, Rich? Um, I think people have uh, got their stimulus checks in the US. 
Uh, they've got a lot of ready cash and they want to spend it on something. And these cards are just a hot thing at the moment. It seems to be something that's come over to Star Wars from baseball and sports trading cards. Uh, this thing about getting somebody's rookie card, uh, which I guess for sports is the first card that the player appeared on in his rookie season. And I guess for somebody who perhaps wasn't famous in their rookie year, maybe those cards were a little bit harder to come by for somebody who went on to become famous. So I I can understand why a mint rookie card for a sporting personality might go for a lot of money. But then to say that the Topps blue card number one, which features Luke Skywalker, is his rookie card and that makes that one worth a fortune, I don't get that at all. But uh, yeah, as as you say, we're seeing these prices going up and up and up on, uh, on eBay. And as I say, COVID craziness. I think is the answer. Um, I've got to pick you up on one thing, though, Rich. You said mint cards, uh, you can get, you know, 10 a penny. Uh, there's mint and there's mint, isn't there? And I know for graded trading cards, the grading companies look at those really, really, really carefully. Even stuff that's fresh out of the pack, they will look at, they'll look for any signs of tiny little crumples on corners. They'll look at the printing. Um, they'll even look at how the card is centered. Um, to get a top grade, it's got to be centered absolutely perfectly. So even something that comes fresh mint out of the pack, just if it's been cut a little bit off center or if the quality of the print is a little bit off, then that's not going to get a top grade. So uh, um, as with anything else, stuff that is absolutely perfect is always going to make good money. But, uh, yeah, we're seeing crazy prices on cards that really should be more, no more than a couple of dollars, a couple of pounds at the moment. Uh, but, uh, hey, if it carries on, I've got a, uh, a large set in the loft I can sell you, Rich. Well, yeah, you're right there about graded. And honestly, I wonder if some people are an apple short of a pie when you look at some of the stuff that people are paying for for graded examples. And Jason, you picked up on that um, in our show notes here. Um, some of the high graded examples are going for an obscene amount of money. I've seen it in the comics industry for a long time. Um, you know where people are looking for like 9.6 and above grading. Um, you know, really, really high prices being fetched. And what I wasn't aware of is that I didn't realise there were two printings of the blue American Tops trading cards. I think there was a, there was a first release blue and a slightly different release on the blue as well. Um, so I'd, I'd imagine there's a differentiation in price between those two as well if we're talking about rookies. Um, Jason, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think you you like the paperwork and things, but would you pay a premium price for something that's graded? When I started out, I was I was kind of collecting an half and anti run of Return of the Jedi Palatoy cards that all turned out to be toy tonies. I think I've been I've been well bitten on on graded, so uh, probably not. The thing the thing I I'm, I'm kind of quite interested in as well is digital trading cards. And the thing there is the ones that seem to be the most valuable are the ones that came out when the app started, like five or six years ago. So the They'll release new new limited cards now, but the only things that seem to hold any value are the ones which were re- the cards which were released in the first week or the first couple of years of uh, of the app. And it, it's quite interesting that Topps has about five or six different trading apps apps on that, and the the rival to that is Quid. And Quid have started selling, doing in 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 app trading, so you can actually sell your cards in the app for money. Now, for, for tops, you have to do it on eBay, and there's a lot of problems associated with that. If you sell your digital cards on eBay, you can get ripped off quite easily. So it'll be interesting to see if tops follow suit, follow quid suit, and um, start allowing trading of their digital cards in the app. Because at the moment, all of that commission is going to eBay, and I'm sure tops must be aware that they're missing out on a big chunk of money by doing that. Mm, I did not know that. I mean, obviously, I've seen digital cards for sale on ebay and i've always wondered how they work 
I still don't quite get it. You know, I get it. It might look clean and it might look efficient in a, in a trading app of some kind. But yeah, they're, they're just screenshots to me. They're just absolute screenshots. I would never, I would never get into that. I haven't used the Star Wars Card Trader app in about three or four years now, but it's absolutely loaded with all the original cards. And if there's a way for me to turn those into money that I can pour into Star Wars vintage collectibles, then yippee. Yeah, just just a very small aside on that, Rich. Um, I'm, I'm like you. It's just like yeah, I'm not really sure on this digital stuff. But uh, there's a whole wave of digital art suddenly has become very valuable. So people who create like a meme and they can prove it was theirs and they have the rights to it um, have started making money out of online memes, uh, the originators of them. Um, that the first tweet sold this week didn't it for about was it six was it six million or something i think how on earth do you prove that but apparently because of the you can take the time stamp and and it'll be accredited that to that owner um someone now owns the first tweet made by you know jack or whatever his name was on twitter how crazy i, I mean this, this is something that's going to going to become big in the next well it already is big but it's going to become quite public the ownership of digital uh, images very interesting Right then, so let's move over to the latest acquisitions. Um, you know, obviously after all of our Brexit advice last month, I'm sure we've all been delving in. Again, another month with me um, moving house. I'm not going to be purchasing anything for quite a while, so we'll just get over that. Let's go to... Oh, look at this list. Yeah, we'll go to Pete. Pete, what have you picked up this month? Yeah, let's 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 start with me. So I kind of kiff what well, there's a lot going on with their stuff. Right, not much, Rich. Um, I have got a few childhood things technically not Star Wars, but one Star Wars. Um, I got my, my Palatoy 12-inch Hulk back. I had him as a kid. Uh, put a picture up on our on our little social media things uh, of me holding mine when I was, what, six or whatever it was, and I've managed to get him back. So I was quite chuffed with that. He's a fantastic figure. I think Spoons has, has, uh, has one in a package or something. Um, and then I got a bunch of Fantastic Four comics from back in the day. I know it's not Star Wars, but I was obsessed with this comic and I couldn't find the second part of a of a giveaway, which was a fantastic car. And I finally got it. I'm so happy after all these years. So I got the first three of those. Um, and then I got something that was on my list, which was a, a 12 inch vintage Leah. Got it for eight quid. <laughs> Absolute mess, bless her. I've cleaned her up. She's in front of me now. Um, the hair was a bit of a mess, but I've sort of I've sort of dealt with it. Um, her clothes were heavily stained. Dealt with that. Cleaned them up. Need a bit more work. But um, I picked up a couple of modern uh, Princess Leia costumes, actually. And she looks quite natty in her Endor costume. So uh, I'll post a picture of that. And also got a um, the Endor speeder bike costume and the Endor um, Ewok costume as well. And uh, she looks natty. A little bit of a tight fit, got to say. She's quite a chunky lass in those early days. Uh, but that's it, really. Yeah, just a couple of uh, sort of vintagey things from back in the day. But... Um, that Fantastic Four comic that has haunted me for about 30 years um, or 30 plus years or 40 years and I've kind of corrected that that, uh, that haunting not having that second part of a of a model has disturbed me for years and years so uh, I've corrected it and it's uh, I've corrected the universe maybe Jason's uh, vortex hole will now seal up because I've, I've you know I've stopped time itself Right, come on, Jason. He's led you nicely there. What have you picked up this month? 
I, I think my, my list is slightly uh, shorter than uh, previous months, but it's still still quite long in comparison. So here we go. Put your short, dinner on. Short man. is never a word with you, Jason. Short Put your dinner on. First up, I've got a power toy card back. I've got a 70C88 card back. Now, the, this is this is a run that Ed Grant put together mint on card um, a few years ago. And I think it's much easier to collect mint on card because... The main difference between the, the Power Toy 70B and C is the racetrack bubble um, extends beyond the, 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 the kind of racetrack, the, the main racetrack at the bottom of the card, and the copyright text is on the, on the racetrack bubble in black lettering on the white racetrack, and on the 70B, it's just on the background of the cards. So it's in white text on black background. Now, typically with a card back, when you take the bubble off, that gets ripped off. So from a picture, it's very hard to tell. Um, if you've got it in hand, the card's much thinner, and you can waggle the card, and it makes a very distinctive noise compared to the 70B. So I've been working on that run and got myself this 70, 70C88. So that leaves me leaving, needing three. I need a Luke. I saw one online that got sold to somebody else. I know they exist, and they're out there. And I need an R2-D2 and a C-3PO, and then that will be that run complete. Um, I've made some progress on my uh, Palatoy scrapbook, so I've got a Palatoy Return of the Jedi. Yes, it's true leaflet, which is a leaflet that folds out into three, and it's full of Return of the Jedi um, stuff. I've got a, a better quality Return of the Jedi painting competition leaflet, because Mother Mom was very crumpled. And I'm very pleased with this. I've got a Palatoy 1980 retail sales division price list. This is the one that goes along with the Chad Valley 1980 catalogue. Um, so I'm still missing a few price lists on that, which I'm looking for, but I'm very pleased I've managed to get my hands on one of those. Uh, I've got two Helix pencil toppers for my, for my box, which leaves me needing about another five or six. Um, the, the, the strange thing with the box is I can quite comfortably fit five in a row in the box, but uh, the content says that I've got to fit six in a row, so I'm trying to figure out how to do that at the moment. I've got a copy of Lookin with a Letra Set Star Buys article. So there were two copies of Lookin that had Letra... One had Letra Set Transfer Offer on the front and inside, and the other one has this article saying... Letra set star buy, so I've managed to get hold of the the one with the blue cover, which has that buys article in it. Um, there was a great debate online about how the actual transfers on the on the one with the yellow co cover, how they were actually attached to the card, and somebody reckoned, reckoned they were inside because there was kind of like kind of ripped ripped paper on the spine. On the two covers that I've got, I detected that there was yellow sellotape, and I think the a consensus of opinion is that these things were actually taped to the cover rather than being inside. But there you go. So there was that. I've also got they're called I'm, I'm calling them cutbacks. So Dairy Lee had the round um, the round boxes, and on the back there was a kind of diorama where you, you could rub out the transfers and make a little picture. And I've got three of those all cut out neatly. So three out of the four that I got off uh, Craig Spivey. So I'm looking for the best bin one in a cut box for a complete set of those and just any complete box but i was very pleased to have picked those up my only hcf pickup it's getting quite quite, quite difficult it seems to be quite a kind of uh, kind of barren spot on hcf at the moment but i do have the rectangular squishy pencil case 
which is really nice. Uh, and the strange thing about that, there's an insert in there which is completely non-Star Wars, and it's got like a picture of the hedgehog and something else. And it's, it just, I looked at it and I immediately thought that it was just something, something a kid had stuck in there. But I, I consulted with HCF Supremo Andy Preston. And he says no, no, it was actually in there when they manu- when they manufactured it and shipped it out the door. So um, I'm quite pleased with that. I've got Marvel and Spider-Man Zoids, issues 15 to 23. So the the last eight ever Marvel comics that featured the, the, the last story from Return of the Jedi Weekly when that folded, I've got all eight issues of that now. So um, I think that's me almost done on, the, on, on Marvel now, apart from some of the missing free gifts. Got a couple of new uh, adverts, which I'm going to frame up. I've got a Paltoy Airfix attack advert. Another one which says the return of the Jedi kits are entering your galaxy. And I think there's a third one I can get. I'm trying to figure out how I can frame those up and what I can do with them. Um, my Panini Focus, which I thought was done and I was never going to get anything else on, out of the blue, um, I've, you know, there's we know that there's a there's a, a tops version of the Return of the Jedi sticker album, and then there's the Panini, there's the British version, the Italian version the French version and the German version, and there's a French variant with Piff on it. Out of the blue, I'm on eBay. There's a Dutch variant. So I've got the Dutch variant of uh, the of the sticker album unused. And I also found a much better uh, unused French French mint version of that. Um, it seems there's a guy in France who must have a lot of them because he just keeps selling them. So I bought one of those. So I've got a very nice picture with six of these mint albums on it. I'm very pleased with that. Uh, also from Craig Spivey, I picked up um, some Star Wars booklet things. So there's uh, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Official Collector's Edition, and the Empire Strikes Back Storyboard. And that's me done. Awesome, Jason. Nice range of items there. Uh, let's go to, uh, to Andy Spoons next. Andy Spoons, what have you picked up last month? Well, like Pete, I've, uh, I've picked up one of the 12-inch figures uh, I'm aiming for, so we're trying to get one a month at the moment. I've got the 12-inch Darth. He arrived with very loose arms with a dad repairing so i uh, logged on to toy polloi and uh used the zip tie fix which worked very well actually so i'm very pleased with that came with, came with his lightsaber a little bit rough around the edges but uh, a very good price the next item was a clipper diecast x-wing card back and i don't really appreciate quite how uh, how rare this one was there's a lot of interest after i bought it and um, particularly from guys over in the Netherlands who um, who just never see them and were trying to buy it off me before it even been posted. I was after that. <laughs> so I've, got, I've, I've got the card back run, obviously. So you, yeah, yeah, it's true, but uh, but the, you're not in the Netherlands where it's uh, where it's even rare. So that's good. So I've, I've paired that up with a bubble that you gave me, Rich, ages ago. I think you just dropped it off here once when you when you picked me up. And an X-Wing that I picked up off Jason at Echo or Father's. I think it was probably Echo, actually. So that, that looks quite good together. I need to upgrade that that bubble at some point, but I'm quite pleased without a doubt. I'm going to see a, a sealed one anytime soon. Uh, next couple of items. I don't quite know where this fits, actually. This is the, the Thomas Salter action transfers. This is, this is the Ewoks one. So these are like the Letra set stuff but produced in the uh, return of the jedi era and um, it's quite quite nice saw that on uh, on ebay and decided to pick that up and also got myself the letra set chewbacca's space notes uh, to go with a c3po book and then inspired by last month's podcast i picked up not one but two packs of spacecraft top trumps 
Uh, so there's there's variations as as we discussed. So I've got the Waddingtons pack, which have the picture of the upside down X-wing on the front, and they've got a, a red base to them. And there's also the the Dubrec branded top trumps, and they've got a different uh, image on the front. I think it's uh, some kind of space station off the top of my head. Uh, so they're they're quite nice. The, the case is a little bit cracked, but the, uh, the the sets of cards are very nice. And lastly, kind of a, one of these random deal or no deal pickups that you, you, you log on half the time the item's been listed and sold before you'd even notice it's there this was the micro collection Luke Bespin uh, from the Bespin Gantry and it's the prototype and it's uh, it's an alternate sculpt for, for Luke Bespin but apparently it's the the idea of these was actually for the whole line they, they weren't kind of weren't sure how much detail they could get away with on the micro collection so this Luke has actually got not a lot of detail on it at all, and they realised afterwards they could put far more on. So it's known as the small head Luke. It's got a, a, a smaller belt buckle, no lightsaber hanging off it. It's actually quite different from the uh, the production one. But that's very nice. So I've got a few of those uh, those micro collection prototypes. So he's he sits with them. Nothing you know, nothing too special. But I'm very happy with that. And that's me done. Excellent. We're rattling through these. Um, any person? Cheers, Rich. Yeah, um, a nice few bits uh, this month. First on the list is a Palatoy Return of the Jedi store display poster. And uh, Jason mentioned earlier picking up a Return of the Jedi painting competition leaflet. Uh, this is the poster that goes with it. I was very lucky to spot this on eBay. It was in a mixed lot of some fairly tatty comics and magazines and so on, and just spotted this poster uh, peeping out. Uh, what? wasn't mentioned in the listing description uh, but uh, it is a it must be an a1 size poster um so you've got a big image of darth vader in the background you've got luke in his flight suit on the left you've got admiral akbar on the right and the various characters at the bottom you've got three r 2 and chewy and a royal guard and nine num and at the top of the poster it says the star wars saga continues enter this great competition now and a Return of the Jedi logo. And then at the bottom of the poster, it says, ask for details here. It's not in best condition. It's been folded. It's a bit dirty. It's got lots of scuffs and tears. But it's the first Pelotoy store display poster I've got, and I'm very, very pleased with that. Uh, next one, I have got a Yoda costume set. This was by British company Ekamas. Uh, that came from Luke Tompkins on Echo. Thank you, Luke. Um, so that leaves me just needing one to get the full set of Akamas box costumes. Uh, I need the Luke Skywalker one if anybody out there has got one of those. I got a used sticker sheet. This was for the first issue, Palatoy Star Wars X-Wing. Uh, and this sticker sheet I bought from Andy Bosworth. Been after those for a long, long time to complete my first issues. Adding to my little UK factors sticker run um i picked up a sticker of darth vader that was uh, from dan grigsby which i traded for something else from pete vilmer in the states i've got a couple of bits from pete uh, i got a sheet of eight unused revenge of the jedi yoda cast and crew stickers um i've got a single one of those before but it's lovely to have that uncut sheet of eight um and i also got from pete a page of advertising blocks for the british 1982 double bill release uh, next one's a bit of a quirky item, and uh, one of my favourite items this month, actually. This is a programme for the Winter Gardens in Margate for their summer season. Um, so for anybody out there not from the UK, um, in seaside resorts around the UK, um, certainly going back in the 70s and 80s, it was traditional to have a summer season 
and they get comedians and singers and so on, and uh, and they'd be there to entertain the holidaymakers. So in summer 1978, the Winter Gardens had as their headliner uh, Roger DeCourcy with Nookie Bear. They had Jim Davidson. They had a singer I've never heard of, and they had the Mini Tones. They had Kenny Baker and Jack Purvis. So on the front of this program, you've got a picture of uh, R2-D2 with Kenny's head sticking at the top, and then a bit of creative license. I think you've got C-3PO with Jack Purvis' head uh, superimposed on the top there, and it says Star Time 78. Um, and there's a little profile of the Mini Tones of Jack and Kenny on the back. So uh, nice little piece there. Uh, moving on, uh, another mirror. Uh, picked up a bootleg mirror last month, and I managed to get another one uh, this month uh, off eBay. This was from Jamie Brown. Thank you. And this is a, a, a fantastic mirror. Uh, bottom part, you've got Luke and the two droids standing on what seems to be some planet uh, with sort of reddish sand or something. Luke's there in his classic pose with his um, his tunic flapping and his hands above his head holding up his lightsaber. In the background, you've got a big red and blue planet. Uh, and the X-Wing uh, being chased by a TIE fighter. All bright colours, reds and yellows and blues, very gaudy, very 70s. I love it. Um, so uh, that's another one. Nearly the end of my list now. Uh, I've got an Episode 9 Stunt Team Crew T-shirt, um, which I picked up for the grand sum of £1.20 on eBay. That one must have flown under a lot of people's radar and then various assorted magazines and i'm not going to bore you going through them all except an honorable mention for one which is the summer 1978 edition of child education quarterly um so this was a magazine produced for teachers various teaching resources pictures and posters and uh, ideas of what you could do with your class and where you could go on class trips and so on and this magazine's all about space You've got various colour pictures of spacecraft and satellites and things. And there's a big colour photo of R2-D2 on Tatooine. Another one of R2 with Luke and Obi-Wan and C-3PO again on Tatooine. And inside it's talking about various ideas for art and craft and music and so on, all based around Star Wars. So nice little pick-up. That. That's uh, uh, another nice little quirky one right up my street. And uh, that's my lot, Rich. Yes, lots of great items there. Interesting to know that we're not picking up a lot of toy-related items. There seems to be a lot of paraphernalia there. So, uh, yeah, great items there, guys. Right then, so let's move on to the swap shop then. So last month, um, Pete, you can describe better than me um, what was the item that we had available for swapping from last month. And secondly, did we get many takers? <laughs> no, Richard, sadly. It was number one of UK Marvel Return of Jedi magazine with a badge, with the badge that came up. In the end, nobody, you know, we're in touch, so we'll, uh, we'll keep going. We might have some opportunities abroad, apparently. So we'll just keep going with it. Okay, so, well, if you want that, let us know what you've got to swap, and we will certainly consider it. Right then, so Action Figure Face Off changed its uh, title because it was something about posing last month. So don't put your notes down, keep your powder dry. So we've got four action figures to discuss. Um, Andy Preston has randomly given everybody a character and he's given the best to Andy Norton and the rest he sort of divvied out. Uh, so I get to choose which one is going to be the best. So let's start with, hmm, let's go with Jason this time. Jason, um, tell me about the R2-D2 original and why is that the best? Right, we're going over to R2 himself here. What's that, R2? Rich did what? He's a what? Amazing. Wow, that's incredible. I never knew you could do that. 
What's that? And then you did what? And saw who? And you've got action pick and can do what? Wow. That's incredible. I think I think I'm going to rest my case with that. That's 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 basically it. All all I can add is that I think he was the first action figure I had when I was a kid. Uh, you can spin his red head round to make a nice clicking noise. And to this day, even on an Imperial Commissionery three days ago, there are hilarious discussions about how to remove marbles out of his bum. All right, Andy Preston, see of the show. Cheers, Rich. Well, I've got Bib Fortuna, and what a figure this is, Rich. Starting off with the sculpt, uh, just look at him. Look at his lumpy, misshapen head. Look at his double chin with his funny little beard appendages hanging off his chin. Uh, he, he must be Elephant Man's poorer cousin. Uh, hanging off the back of his head, he's got his leku, his brain tentacles, that he wears wrapped around himself like a scarf. And then look a bit closer, look at his face. Is he wearing pink lipstick? What is going on there? He's got pink eyes as well. Has he been on the lash? I know what it is, Rich. He looks like a Star Wars collector the morning after the farthest from Christmas party. Not a pretty sight. But they say that the clothes maketh the man. He is rocking his trench coat. And let's face it, it does not get cooler than a trench coat. Constantine, Highlander, Deckard, Kyle Reese, the brown coats, Mulder and Scully, the 10th Doctor. He is in great company. He's got a cool silver breastplate, but let's take a look what he's wearing underneath this is interesting a bright blue flared jumpsuit wristbands fingerless gloves this guy's a style ambassador for the 80s and yes rich he is wearing shoes what's he carrying it's his battle staff this was not seen in return of the jedi this is something that was invented by kenner but it was, it was adapted from the action figure accessory into a live action prop to be carried by Bib Fortuna in The Mandalorian. What other figure can make that claim? You'll find Bib on most Jedi card backs. He's not on Power of the Force, although you can get his coin. And he has the coolest variants of all. Now, there are 11 known COO variants, but the most cool ones are the different colored cake. The white cape and the red cape pre-production care figures, highly sought after, only a handful of examples known of each kind. And then the Lily Leddy burgundy bib, very, very hard to find a genuine example, and what a cool figure. And there we have it, Rich, Bib Fortuna, a bit of a minger, but a true 80s-style guru and an awesome figure to collect. I rest my case. Very, very strong, that. I, I really like your attention to his um, dangly bits from his chin. Um, yes, I, I think that's a great shout. Um, I love the fact that he's sculpted underneath and then he's hidden by this whole cape. Um, a lot of efforts went into making that sculpt for most of it to be hidden. Um, very, very passionate. I really like that. That was a strong defence there. Um, let's go with Andy Norton, considering I said on paper you've got the easiest one to defend. Well, that's very interesting. A lot of the use of the word cool, we're now going to the ATST driver who embodies cool. He's an understated figure, but one of the most accurate sculpts out there. He is cool. He's got shades on. How many other Star Wars figures have shades? His future's um, a long time ago 
He's so bright. God, I messed that up. Don't worry about that. He's understated. He's got a jumpsuit on. The jumpsuit is like Boba Fett's jumpsuit. Did you know that Boba Fett used to be an ATST driver? It's that such a sought-after role. He's got gloves, a helmet, no shoes, Richard, but a lovely pair of all-terrain boots. He's got an exclusive blaster, I reckon. If you did a survey, the ATST blaster would be the most hoovered-up accessory of all time. It's exclusive, it's rare, it's special. He's got his own Power of the Force coin. Driver of the dreaded Scout Walker, used in battle against rebels and Ewoks on Endor. Comes on the Kenner Canada 77 bat. That's a nice rare one. And the Kenner 77 and 79. Not too many others because he's special. He comes on the Anakin offer, but no others. They didn't need to shift ATSD drivers with the promise of tat. He sold himself. There's a different picture on the Trilogo card. Did you know that? Looks very much like the prop. Subtle difference between the uh, the main card. It's the same as the 50-back Lily Lady. Now, that's a really nice card. It comes with a black Luke Jedi weapon there. It's a really nice card, actually. I was very impressed by that. Variations. Don't worry about variations with the ATST driver. Kenner knew what they wanted. There's a coup. There's no coup. There's not a lot else. They didn't care. They liked what they'd done, and they stuck with it. There's Polish bootlegs. First generation has a natty red scarf. Very good likeness to the Kenner figure, and that runs through all the Polish ones. There's blue or green buckles. Kind of little little nods to kind of exotic colours, like the rest of them, but keep him simple. It's a great figure. Why change it? All the others are good, even the unarticulated. But there, he's got red shades. He's cool again. The ATST driver is exclusive and elusive. He's not even on the Scout Walker box. Did you know that? And then when the Kenner re-released the modern one through Hasbro, he's not on that box either. He sells himself. Rest my case. Very, very passionate play, Andy. Although I think you, for every good point you made, you also had a butt in there as well. So you've, you've put him down a fair bit there. You have. You have put him down a lot. Right, Pete, let's all move on to you. You've got Snaggletooth. Snaggleteeth? Snaggletooths, whatever they're called. Snaggletooth, Richard Snaggletooth is uh, was probably one of the most traditional figures, uh, one of the most loved figures. Uh, we all know the the history of Snaggletooth. Uh, we had the blue one, and then the blue one was turned into the red one. And I'll come on to that a little bit later, uh, because when they were uh, changing this figure, they uh, resculpted the legs, added hair to the hands. Everyone wants hairy hands, and uh, then they moulded it with the base colour of the head being grey and the base colour of the rest of him being red. So we have this beautiful little red jumpsuit, little Anders figure. Everyone loves a jumpsuited figure. Now um, we also had a beautiful little belt buckle. Um, apparently, apparently the designer went, "Oh, I need uh, a belt buckle design," and he went, "Oh, I think I'll use my own my own design off my own business card," and whack that on. So we have a little bit of uh, interesting history there. Um, when they were when they were sorting out his weapon, originally Snaggletooth came with a stormtrooper or a stormtrooper rifle. Uh, but then it, sh- it came with a Hanso laser pistol. So uh, um, there we have a little bit of uh, history on his weapon. So uh, originally the Snaggletooth was going to have a big long rifle. Now, there's in going for car backs, uh, there's no Trilogo, there's no Power of Force, and there's no um, proof, there's no coin. There is a revenge proof card. He does appear on all sorts of cards uh, Star Wars, Palatoy, Kenner, PBP. Um, all sorts. Um, um, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. You, if you want to collect cards for Snaggletooth, that is a focus to have, and they go on forever. So uh, you get in there. There's also a few bootlegs and that sort of stuff. Now let's get on to the fun stuff. Um, Snaggletooth is an actor. 
Yes, Snaggletooth appeared in a film. Uh, appeared in E.T., so Snaggletooth actually has a film credit. So there we go. Very famous. If you want to actually own an actor from a film, buy yourself a Snaggletooth, Red Snaggletooth, and you've got yourself an actor from a big film. Now, now we keep all people keep referring to Snaggletooth um, as this little tiny figure, as a he. No, I can. It is actually a she. Snaggletooth, Red Snaggletooth, is female. Now, did you know that? No, you probably didn't. So uh, we actually have another female figure. I had EV99 last last month. This time I've got the female Snivian called Zutmore, um, who appeared, obviously, in the Star Wars Holiday Special. And that uh, image on the back of the card is from the Star Wars Holiday Special. So if you want to collect Star Wars Holiday Special items, you collect Snaggletooth, because that is a proper figure from Holiday Special. So our little Snivian called Zutmore, it was supposed to be in a Snivian called Zutton, um, they got the the image wrong, sent it to the, to Kenner, made a right mess of it, and uh, unfortunately we are stuck with that uh, particular design. So our female figure of Zutton, a uh, little bit of information about um, Zutton, was a Snivian from Academy Prime, not a bounty hunter. Uh, she was known to cheat her family and lovers. When her deceitful ways are revealed, her family abandoned her on Tatooine. She could often be seen at Chelman's Spaceport Cantina sitting in a stupor, reflecting on her past. Um, she was also known as Ratchelt Heist. So there we go. You might see that name. But yeah, our female little Snaggletooth. Um, you can now love her all the same because she's no longer a little man. Well, I had three very, very passionate pleas here on their figure, and I had Jason. So, hmm, something about this. Well, Jason, you're going to be eliminated because uh, if you're seeing the best thing about R2-D2 is that he gets marble stuck up his bum. I don't think I can count that one going forward, so that's getting eliminated now. Right, um, and I'm also going to eliminate Andy Norton as well because although all of those great things you did see about the ATSD driver, I really set it up for you and you spectacularly failed by describing it as cool but natty and you know you were putting him down every second word so so that goes as well i thought he was a tough one to do actually i think he's not there's not a lot well there you go you've just you've just ruined him again i think that, that came over in your um in your attitude andy i, I wasn't really that impressed <laughs> with you right so andy preston and peter which i think were the two oh. from last week as well am i right were both absolutely excellent both absolutely excellent i think i'm going to lean more towards andy preston because oh. i think the way that he described the action figure was absolutely tremendous and it made me open the open the Google image and have a look at it and truly, you know, get a grip with the dangly bits hanging from his chin and and all that kind of detail. I love that. But Pete, your Snaggletooth, um, you know, play was actually pretty strong as well. I think you could have focused more on the toes of Red Snaggletooth. I think I could have, you could have done more on the toes and the toenails. Um but you decided to rein that back a bit. Well, I get it. Um but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Andy Preston as well, Bib Fortuna. Great shout there, Andy. A uh, good you, choice, Rich. But did you know that that uh, Red Snaggletooth is female? Yes. Do we ever I, do we ever, ever mention it? Yeah. No, I didn't know. Didn't well, know there was a lot in yours. I I wasn't aware of Pete. So I found yours very educational. Well, yes, Richard obviously ignored that part. But uh, whoever refers to Red Snaggletooth as um, a female, nobody does. So I think that's going to be an exclusive this month, and we can uh, we can retire on the back of the proceeds. I did not know that, Pete. That's a good one. Yeah, very good. Right, okay, so a um, bit of trivia there from Pete. Let's head over to some trivia now with Jason, who's going to take us over on the quiz. I am your Magnus Magnuson, and I'm here to uh, give you uh, the quiz, which I'm going to be called Now I Am the Master Mind. 
So, so basically, it's uh, specialist subjects for each of you, uh, and, in a, and in a twist, you've got to um, guess your own specialised subject. And we're um, <laughs> so basically, if you can guess your specialised subject in your first guess, you'll get two points. Uh, if it takes you um, a second guess, you'll get one point. Otherwise, no points. So we're going to go first with Rich. So, Rich, uh, introduce yourself and tell me what your specialised subject is. Well, I'm Richard Hutchinson. I'm from the north of England. My specialist subject is the bleeding obvious. That is incorrect. Your second attempt at guessing your specialised Star Wars subject for... Didn't expect that to be my first question, to be honest with you. I thought that was an introduction. So, come on, what's your specialised subject? You've got you've got a second, second guess at this. I'm going to go with the EU. The EU is incorrect. Um, right, we're now going to proceed to your questions on your specialised subject, which is, of course, R5-D4. First question. What nickname did Luke give R5-D4, and what actor also played a character of this name in another film? Four. Uh, what nickname did Luke give R5-D4? Um... Birdman of Alcatraz? <laughs> I was... I've got no idea. Uh, just the, the red one. I'm a bit shorter than that. Ooh, shorter just... than red. Red. I'll take red. So mm -hmm. we'll give you we'll give you a half point for red. But you've got to name the actor play who the also played the name of this actor in a prison movie. Uh, I'll give I'm you a clue. The, the prison movie was the Shawshank Redemption, which is probably one of the most popular films. Yeah, going. That, that is a good movie. That's a, who played red in the Shawshank Redemption. Correct answer is, of course, Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Morgan I'm Freeman. Sure. Moving on to the second question. Now, when I, when I refer to Red at this point, I'm referring to R5-D4, not Morgan Freeman's character in The Shawshank Redemption. So bear that in mind. Question number two, what is Red's height? In centimetres, please. Seven. Seven centimetres? That's quite short for a droid. Do you want to, yes, do you want to yes. try again? You're talking about the action figure. I'm talking, I'm talking about his, his real life size. Oh, here, you never said that, Jason. Right. Oh, um... He's slightly bigger than seven centimetres. Yeah, I'll give, uh, I'll give you I'm help going here. to go one metre twenty. Sorry, the correct answer is 97 centimetres. So um, no, no points on that. On to your third question. Which episode of The Mandalorian did Red appear in? So I want the, the episode number and, for bonus points, the, the name of the episode. Well, it was the one with... The one where the, he brought that assassin back uh, when he visited the planet. Um, so which episode number was he in? Oh, the number. Uh, I'm going to, it was near the middle-ish, I think. I'm going to say episode five. That is correct. Whoa, for and for a, that, for a bonus point, uh, what was the name of the episode? I knew you were going to say that. It starts with the... the I go with the assassin. No, it's the gunslinger. Gunslinger. Um, oh, Stephen on, King. To, on to question number four. What was the name of the short story featuring in featuring Red in a book called From a Certain Point of View, an anthology of 40 short stories released in 2017. Oh, I knew he was in there, but I've never read that one yet. Um, <laughs> I'll give you a clue. You've already said this as an answer. Yeah. Um, the red one? 
Yes, the red one is correct. Uh, and your last question on red is what Moss Eisley hangar manager did red end up in the service of? Woo-ha. The answer is Pelly Motto. Uh, Richard Hudson, um, I can I can reveal that your um, your score in your specialised round of R5 D4 is two and a half points. I think I've won. Five or seven, maybe. Two and a half is the score to go to. Right, moving on. Um, Mr. Mr. Spoons, uh, would you like to uh, sit down in the black swivel chair, introduce yourself, and uh, tell me what your specialised subject is? Hello, my name is uh, Andy Spoons, and I am in a, a swivel chair that is no longer squeaking. And my specialised subject, I'm not sure what, what you'd go for there, Jason. I'm going to plump for diecast. I'm hoping it's diecast. It's correct for two points. <laughs> wow, how did you guess? Well, there's, there's another one which, if I'd said and was correct, and there were anything like Rich's questions, I would have been getting zero. So yeah, the, the, the other possibility <laughs> was was in fact Han, Han Solo yeah. Hoth. But, yeah, uh, I, was, I was thinking that. Diecast it is. Uh, here, yeah. here are your questions. First question: How many ships featured in the diecast range? There'd be eleven ships. Yeah, and I, I'm. Since it's diecast and you wrote the website and I got the questions off the website of, the, of your, <laughs> you wrote, you're going to have to name them all, please. Wow. Uh, X-Wing, Land Speeder, TIE Fighter, Darth Vader TIE Fighter, Millennium Falcon, Imperial Cruiser, Y-Wing, Snow Speeder, Slave One, Twin Pod, Cloud Car and TIE Bomber. It's correct. You'd hope so. Well, I don't really, I don't look at that website very often anymore. <laughs> Question two. Right. How many licensees were there for the diecast range? Ooh, I gotta go for. I could I could name them all, but I assume you want an answer a bit quicker than that. Uh, I mean, I need the number, and then I am going to ask you to name them all. <laughs> can I, I can do the other um, way around so easier? Cool. I'm going to go for nine. Is correct. Can you name them all? Palatoy Kenner, Kenner Canada, Toll Toys Takara, Harbour. Clipper, Meccano, and one I'm forgetting. I said Palatoy, haven't I? Yes. I said Toltoy, said Takara. Oh, what's the last one? I mean, very good as well. I'm not looking in my cupboards. Oh, I'm gonna ask. yeah, mine's a blank, Jason. Um, did you say General Mills? Jim. Did you General say Mills. General Mills? General Mills. I'm going to give you a half point there because you failed to name them all. I've got to, I've got to be hard on you. It's your website. Okay. Your next, next question. How many diecast die ships parts have been reproduced? So how many reproduction parts are there in total? And again, you have to name them all. I think that's probably a little bit out of date. Uh, there are... Well, on, as, 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 as on your website. Of as now. on my website. Yes. So we'll get, let's go... <laughs> okay, it's easier the way around. I'm going to guess at six. Yes, that is correct. And um, what are they? They're the X-wing canopy, the land speeder windscreen, the Y-wing bomb, Darth from Tie Fighter, Darth from Darth Vader Tie Fighter, and the blockade runner from the Imperial Cruiser. That is correct for a full one point. Your next question, question four. Which Palatine card variation mentions diecast ships? Say that question again. 
Which Palatoy card back variation mentions die cast ship? So this is for the three and three quarter figure line. This is this is the card back for the three and three quarter figure line. One of the card backs mentions. Okay, that'll be be the twelve back. Are you gonna is is there is it a difference uh, I between? To, I need to know the subletting, so it's. Uh, I need more than twelve back. I'm gonna go for the twelve C. Twelve C is correct. Storming along here, and your last question: What is written in the yellow star with jagged edges on the diecast packaging? Oh, uh, I can't. No I'm, looking. I'm not looking. It's diecast metal and high impact plastic. Correct. That gives you, Mr. Spins, That gives you a total of three, four, five, six. Let me count again. Three, four, five, six and a half. Well, there's a few lucky guesses in there, I'll be honest. <laughs> so that's the target to go for. So, so far we have Spins in the lead with six and a half and Rich uh, trailing with two and a half points. Moving seven, on to... Seven, seven centimetre high uh, droid. That's what she well, said. Yeah, well, I, I would like to lodge a challenge there because I, I would refuse to call the land speed at a ship and ask him how many die-cast ships there were. <laughs> I, I think you got that one wrong. Well, there you go. Okay, moving on to Andy Preston. Would you like to sit down in the black swivel chair, introduce yourself, and tell me what your specialist subject is? Good evening. Well, yes, once again, I am actually sat down in a black swivel chair. Uh, my name's Andy Preston, and my specialist subject is, well, what's my specialist subject? It could be it's anything. It's for two points. It's this a, is for two it, points. Right. Well, if, you're go, if you've gone wide, it could be vintage British Star Wars collectibles. Um, but, is that your is that your is that your answer? Let's go with that for the answer. That is incorrect. Okay, for 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 one point, you get another guess. What what is your specialist subject? Oh, I'll give you a clue. It's not toy related. HCF. Um, incorrect. Your specialised subject, Andy, is Finza. And your first question on Finza <laughs> is. What base slash planet was represented by the Finza filming location? That would be Hoth. And uh, what was the what was the base that was represented? Uh, oh, Echo Base. Echo Base. That's correct for one point. Your second question: What date did filming on the Empire Strikes Back in Finza start on? What date? That. I'll give you a half the, point a year, but if you get the date exactly right, you'll get a full point. I believe that was the 6th of March, 1979. That is so close, but it was the 5th of March, 1979. So I'm giving, I'm giving you a half point on that. Are you sure? Um, we're consulting Google. My Google sources said 5th of March... We shall we will consult with the Oracle. Filming in Norway began on March the fifth, nineteen seventy nine, according to the unofficial guide. Well, there, there we go. It's gathering things up. Right, next question. What was the name of the hotel used for filming in Finza? You've that, stayed there. You should know what it's called. That is Finza one two two two. That is correct. And for your next question, which glacier three miles from Finza was used for filming? The Harden Yokla. 
The what? Harden Yokla. Or something like that. Hard, I mean, as, as it reads, it says Hard Danger Joculin. So, yes, yeah, I'll give you a point that's, the, that. that's the one. I'll give you a point for that. And your last question on Finza is How cold did it get during filming? I want this answer in de- degrees Fahrenheit. How cold did it get? According to several sources that I read. Uh, oh, well, when I was out there, it was about minus 13. Uh, but that would be centigrade, wouldn't it? So, oh, Fahrenheit, what the... Total uh, guess, minus 40. Um, incorrect, it's minus 29. So, uh, at the end of that, you have scored three and a half points, which puts you ahead of Rich, but falling behind uh, Spoons. Very, very good. Um, right, moving on to our last contestant, uh, Pete, this could be interesting. Would you like to sit down in the chair, introduce yourself, and tell me what your specialised subject is. Uh, hello, I am Peter, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that Jason went down the slave layer route, but I'm not convinced he did. Uh, that was for two points, and that's incorrect, I'm afraid. So for your next guess, the, for a point, your specialised subject is. Uh, hopefully, Empire Strikes Back things. Mm, I'm afraid not. Right, Pete, your um, specialised. Star Wars subject on Leamington Spa starts with what was the name of the event celebrating the franchise's 40th anniversary in 2017? What was the name of the event? Uh, Spa Wars. Spa Wars is correct for one point. <laughs> Where was this event held? At the Paris Church. Yeah, on, on, on what terrace was that? Terrace? Yeah, it's the All Saints Parish Church, but on, on what terrace is it on? I don't know, it's just on, uh, 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 could be Clapham Terrace. Uh, <laughs> it's just Paris Church. Church related. Um, I don't know. I don't know what, what we're normally called. It's just called the Paris Church in Leamington. It's the All Saints Paris Church on Priority Terrace, but since you know it was the church, I'm going to give you a point for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, Paris Church. Next question. What well-known vintage Star Wars collector comes from Leamington Spa? Uh, Mr. Spivey. Is the correct answer. Uh, next question. Your fourth question on uh, Leamington Spa related Star Wars trivia. What company makes Star Wars cakes and what year were they established? What company makes Star Wars cakes in Leamington? Yes. There's a Star Wars cake maker in Leamington. Is there? Apparently the web says there is. Is there? Uh, oh, no idea. Never heard of it. it- it's the Cakery, and they were founded in 1982. <laughs> Your last question on Leamington Spa Star Wars-related questions is, quote, sauna experience watching Rogue One, unquote. Which cinema screen, which cinema and screen prompted this one-star review on TripAdvisor due to the temperature? Well, seeing there's only technically one cinema in Leamington, it's got to be the View Cinema. That is correct. And which screen number? I need the screen number here. We've got, you know, screen number. Ooh, hang on. Let me have a think. One, two are pretty big, so I wouldn't think of. Oh, I don't know actually. Maybe it's screen two because that's that is gets pretty sweaty in there. Oh, you're close. It was actually screen three. Oh. So that sticks your total at three and a half points. So coming up at the last place, we have Rich with two and a half points. Spoons and Pete tied on three oh. and a half points. But 
a clear, a clear genius on his specialised yes. of diecast. We have spoons with six and a half points. Um, As they say, he wrote the website on the on the subject. You are tonight. I, I felt like I had the uh, the easiest one there. I must must be honest. Uh, yeah, the uh, richest questions I thought were particularly difficult, and guessing Leamington Spa as a specialist subject, that was a tough one. Well, that was I was hoping for Slave Lear. That. I'd have thought Jake's been sitting there for hours looking at Slave Lear pictures, trying to, you know... I had to kind of uh, veer away from there, so... I thought and, Andy was had a tough one as well, <laughs> having to guess Vincent. <laughs> Was, uh, well, I, I just thought giving, giving him something about toy toy related paraphernalia was going to be far too easy for him, so we had to test him on uh, something where he's just. Oh, he did very well, yeah. That's yeah, enjoyed that. That's good quiz. Right, let's start moving out then to any shout out. So, Peter, I want to come to you first. Now, I saw this one as well, and I toyed up with the idea of using this one, um, but you've taken it, so I'm glad you have. Um, what have you seen out and about in the world of Facebook or the forums? It's a uh, it's Bruce White. We know he's a Princess Leia focus collector, and uh, he's picked up an absolute balting revenge proof card. Um, so it's obviously you know, Princess Leia with a three nine num thing on the off on the front. Um, it's in a graded case, which um, I don't, I've never seen one a graded case. But there we go. And um, ninety apparently near mint mint whatever it's called, but uh, an absolute balter. Um, and he's actually put some pictures on the forum on Star Wars Forum UK of his uh, pre-production stuff and it's absolutely fantastic he's got a lovely picture of princess leia signed he's got an actual action figure itself and he's got star wars proof empire strikes back proof return of jedi proofs i mean absolutely outstanding i mean i tell you what on his collection the other uh revenge return of the jedi sorry um proof card is is another balter i mean that's just outstanding that was a 65 back but yeah he's well chuffed with that and i can understand i mean but that, that, that costs more than a pound as well. Absolutely, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm staggered that he hadn't had one. You know, um, I, yeah. I don't know too much about the rarity of the Leia. Um, I know there are others rarer, and I haven't seen. You know, you don't exactly see them lying around. But at the end of the time that Bruce has been collecting these, um, really surprising. Really surprising. I've got a question on that. Actually, anyone can answer because I obviously don't know. Why has it been? Why has it got a tab on it? You know, it's got um, it's not been punched through, obviously, or knocked out, but it's been punched. What 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 was that about? Anyone know? Why did they punch it? That's a good question, Pete, isn't it? I, I suspect because it's it's um, the same reason it's got a back. It's it's the finished article as much as anything. So they need to see how everything lines up and works. Would be would be my guess. Because I noticed on his on his other proof cards, they've all been punched. You know, you know not not knocked out, but they've been punched as well. So strange, just odd. <laughs> Make, making sure the punch works correctly. Yeah, I, I think Jason's right. I think they, they need to make sure that it hangs correctly on the peg, don't they? So that it hangs um, square on the peg. So I guess when they make the proof cards, the idea is that they're going to have a bubble put on to test the figure um, and, uh, yeah, to, to, to see how it hangs when it's put actually on the peg. Right then. So, um, Jason, um, something palatoy related by any chance? Well, it is on the Palatoy Collector Facebook group, so yes, it is Palatoy related. Really? <laughs> so what we've got, and this was a charity auction, which was very, 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 very good from the the, the seller involved. It, it's a Palatoy Snowspeeder, mint in box with a used sticker sheet, the instructions that came with it, and a catalogue, and the. The, the kind of chin guns are in, are in the bag, but 
the thing that that, that makes the, the this special about this particular one is it comes with a with compliments the Palatoy Company card with a little handwritten note that says please and this is this is for the harpoon um, attachment for the snowspeeder it says please note string wraps around harpoon mount as illustrated to thereby becomes a spool and there's a little Palatoy logo underneath that a Chad Valley um, logo and then the address and phone number of the company and that's a very rare card which is probably worth more than the rest of the set put together uh, anyway it was it was done as a charity auction um, in 50 pound increments and it sold to Max Field for I think it was 350 pounds it went for let me just check 350 pounds but uh, yeah i hadn't seen uh i hadn't seen one of those cars before so that's uh it's it's nice when little little touches like that turn up and uh i just wonder if um they, they went in all the snow speeders or, or they they got tired writing that note out after a while right mm, interesting i haven't seen that before either i picked up an item that justin Rowland was sharing on facebook but I'm just going to mention briefly another item first, which I got a chuckle out of, and it was a Kenna Mail Away Emperor. And you're going to think, well, so what is Kenna Mail Away Emperor? There's thousands of them out there, and they're easy to get a hold of. It's a box one. So what? There's loads of box ones as well. Um, but what I really chuckled about was the label, because it's addressed to a certain Linda Blair um, of Fenton, Michigan. So yeah, good. There's a there's a good Exorcist name there for for those who are fans of the Exorcist. But the one that I'm going to actually bring up, um, he's put here an extremely rare survival kit apology postcard from Kenner. The FET apology is even more common than this in my experience, and I totally agree because I just haven't seen this before. So this is an apology notice, and although the name's been blanked out, it's been sent to an address in uh, Stanley, Virginia. And it says on the front, Dear Star Wars fan, we greatly appreciate your interest in our Star Wars survival kit. Due to the overwhelming response to this offer, we are unable to send you a survival kit by July 1. We sincerely apologise for this delay and are doing our best to process all requests as quickly as possible in the order in which they were received. Full stop. Then no capital Y. Your survival kit will be mailed to you between now and October 15, 1981. Thank you for your patience and for your continued interest in our Star Wars products. And, once again, we apologise for any inconvenience you may experience as a result of this delay. Sincerely, Kenner Products. Now, guys, has any of you seen that before? Because it's the first time that I've seen this. I don't think I have. Yeah, radio silence from me too, I'm afraid. Really nice item, Justin, and cheers for sharing. Um, okay, Andy Preston, I just heard you chime in there. Can we head over to you now? What have you found? Yeah, this is something that Alistair Mack had posted, and he's put this both up on SWF UK forum and on the Star Wars Original Trilogy Home Media Facebook group. And he says, I recently got the last two I needed to complete the set of Italian Star Wars Super 8. And the Super 8 are the film reels that you could have for home viewing. And I'd never come across these before. Um, he's posted a picture of the whole eight uh, Super 8, but there are seven in total. I'm getting myself confused here. So the first four um, are of what particular style of box art, and then there are three other different ones. And the first four, um, the boxes are split on the front in two 
thirds. So the top third is a colour block um, with the Star Wars logo in Italian, the Gene Stellari. And then below that, you've got an image from the film. So the first one's got a red top and then the image of Leia putting the Death Star plans into R2-D2 on the blockade runner. Second one's got a green top and the Falcon in the Death Star hangar with Obi-Wan and uh, uh, Darth Vader fighting. Uh, the third one uh, is a blue top and you've got the crew in the Millennium Falcon. And the fourth one is an orange top with a picture of stormtroopers on the Death Star. Uh, and then the next set of three, these are um, full photo images. And again, the Gale Stellari image up in the top left. Um, so you've got Obi-Wan, you've got the poster art, and then you've got Han and Chewie. So uh, two sets there. Alistair says um, that he assumes the cases are original. Now, unlike the British and Americans ones, which come in cardboard boxes, these appear to be in plastic uh, cases, a bit like you get the old cassette tapes in. Um, he says all, all the ones that I've seen have got the same ones, and he has got a few duplicates that are, again, the same. He says the reels are all different. There are two sets. Uh, the set of three are uh, obviously numbered one to three, and the ones with the coloured fronts are numbered one to four. They are similar in theme as the UK ones, in that the group of three end with the escape of the Falcon from the Death Star, which is like the first UK reel. The other four are equivalent to the second release, UK-US Star Wars reel. And he's put some videos up on the original Trilogy Home Media Facebook group uh, of the first three, and he's going to do the second four at some stage. Uh, he says the US-UK versions you can find commonly on YouTube. So, as I say, lovely um, set to complete. Um, these seven fantastic box art. I love the foreign items. Um, really, uh, really interesting. And, uh, yeah, congratulations, Arista, on a great pickup. Yeah, absolutely a great item there. And we've got some research on that. Well done. Andy Norton, tell what you know. Mine's a, another item from Instagram, which has some sort of really unusual pieces on there and this one's uh, a piece that treasure trove collectibles posted on instagram and i'm going to get the pronunciation of this all wrong but it's turkuman kokuk kochuk maybe chochuk c-o-c-u-k the first c's got a got a dot underneath it and this is uh, a general kind of weekly magazine featured comics puzzles and games and um, but also featured the uh, the star wars uh, Marvel stories after a while. This one's from the 22nd of January 1982, so it's only 1982 that in Turkey you could get these cartoons. And what they did, they, they used the same images from the the Marvel comics, but changed change them slightly. I've seen a few uh, research in this little piece. I've seen a few other covers, and they might change the colour or whatever. I've not been able to track down this cover. I'm probably missing the uh, the blindingly obvious, but it's Chewbacca rushing at a stormtrooper who's, who's shooting up in the air. Luke Skywalker with, with blue hair, lightsaber and blaster shoot, shooting ahead, and a sort of orangey stormtrooper falling in the foreground. But it's just, oh, yeah, I've said this before on this show, I, I do like foreign language items they're interesting particularly for someone like me that's got no skill in languages whatsoever um and so they just seem a bit mysterious and exotic uh, and it's a lovely magazine and he's got a few images from the pages inside there so they'll, they'll be very familiar to everyone you know we did our show on marvel not so long ago and so the images will be similar but the the writing is all in turkish but it's an it's a nice magazine so it's the, not all the covers would have had star wars on but this Issue four does. So uh, that's my item for today. Awesome. Uh, great range of items there, guys. Well, OK, that's been a good introduction this month. So let's head over to Rebel Beefins. 
Disney Plus gets Star Wars Retro. Echo Live goes live. Star Wars accent lights to get you in the mood. Chip Steak becomes one with the Force. Landown Calrissian. The Rebel base is on the moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Right, Richard. We've got um, some more Star Wars content on Disney+. Plus. What is it? Yes, well, this hit the news last week uh, with the big subtitle of the Star Wars Holiday Special is finally coming to Disney+. Plus. Kind of. Um, yeah, they're right in a way. Um, obviously, Disney Plus are looking to put out more content. And uh, the big news was that the cartoon from the Star Wars Holiday Special is heading that way. Um, along with other items, such as the two Ewok movies, which I've seen the Caravan of Courage. I don't think I watched them when they came out because I was just kind of... Nah, I'm not really interested, and in, in, in Star Wars was kind of like, you know, moving away to ZX Spectrum and various other things at the time. Um, I don't think I've seen the second one, although I've had the DVDs for a long time. Um, I've definitely watched the animated Ewok TV series. It's going to be interesting if they're going to air the full original episodes or whether it's going to be the coupled together um, set that was released on the DVDs. But also, and I did enjoy these, the Star Wars Clone Wars cartoons from Gendy Tartakovsky, which aired on the Cartoon Network in 2005. And I did enjoy them, particularly the um, figuring out why General Grievous has a cough. So, yeah, some more content coming out. Um, so I've got some questions for you guys to ask about that. Okay, so, um, Andy's movies, I'm pretty sure you definitely have watched the Ewok movies. Are they watchable? Do they stand up to this day? Well, frankly, Richard, I'm a little insulted. Uh, I've never seen them. And in fact, I didn't even realize they existed until relatively recently, maybe sort of 20 years ago, certainly in the 2000s. If, if maybe I'd seen something about them before, but certainly not conscious of that. And like you, they were, if I was aware of them at the time, they would have held no interest, I don't think. You know, they, I, I watched the, the Ewoks cartoons when they were on and droids. You know, they kind of they weren't sort of must-see TV. They just were on, so I watched them. If these movies had been on and I was aware of them and I watched them, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have looked them out. So, uh, but you know, now they're going to be on Disney Plus. I will. I will be watching them. And like you, I, I won't. I won't attempt to pronounce <laughs> the name. But I really enjoyed the the alternative Clone Wars cartoons as well. The little shorts, and I, and I'll be watching those ones again as well. So, uh, but unfortunately, yeah, there's not a lot I can say about the Ewok movies. To be fair, I think when the, the movies coming out, you, you know, you had you had the like, Ghostbusters, and you know the the first Batman was heading, and you know they were dated before they came out. Those movies, and I don't care really if that upsets anybody, but they they, they were shocking. Clips of them were shocking, and when I watched uh, the one I watched about six seven years ago, um, that'd be why I've never bothered watching the second one. It was so bad. Right, Pete, come to you next. Fat cartoon. Now, yeah, I get it, and I think there's been a lot of overhype about this cartoon because. You know, it's okay, but it's certainly nothing special. But good thing about the holiday special, because I think the holiday special and campness and all that kind of stuff really is your thing. So is the holiday special really that bad and any different from the Donnie Marie show, for example? When we did that quiz uh, a while ago, on the, and uh, I, I think we might have done a mastermind quiz, actually. And uh, I think I did the questions for Steve Saber about holiday special. So I thought, well, I better watch it. Otherwise, I'm you know, going to be silly. And I, yeah, I actually kind of enjoyed it. It was high camp. It is ridiculous. But there is. Maybe it's because it was nostalgia and I hadn't really seen it. And you wanted to see what people were, were getting their tiz about. But, you know, if you take your, your serious hat off for a while and you watch it in chunks, I've got to say, you can't watch it all the way through because it will send you mad. But, I, I, yeah, I 
I kind of enjoyed it. I got to say, I'm not going to deny it. It's nonsense, but it, it's you know you've got you know Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Chewbacca. You know you've got these recognisable characters, stormtroopers and stuff. You've got a few odd Wookies doing odd things, but all in all, I you know I, I really wish they'd just stick it on Disney Plus the whole thing because you know and clean it up because it's not that bad. It's just it's just seventies nonsense, and you know it's just fun. Whatever happened to fun, Richard? People smile and go, oh, look at that. That's absolutely ridiculous. That, that walk is doing something naughty. I mean, well, you know, come on. Daft, especially the cooking bits. That's great fun. You know, it's, it's, just... still, it's slightly dodgy, though, isn't it, Pete? Yes, um, it is. Chewbacca's, make... it Chewbacca's uncle in his, uh, his pleasuring chair watching. Well, yeah, but that's what old blokes do in their chairs when they get old. <laughs> they don't move around and much. You know, they've, you've got some nice lass on the, uh, on the hollow thing. What else is he going to do? He's going to scratch his legs, isn't he? Get it on. I mean, I'm hoping they they just chill. I don't know. I don't know why they're so against showing it. I mean, you know, what what what's, what could it possibly do? It's been, it's been like that that animated series that they did recently, which they never released uh, because they found it too silly. It's like, oh, good. it's actually the clips I've seen of it. It's actually very funny, but they didn't want to make it too serious, too funny because they're too serious. You know, let Star Wars be fun. I thought the holiday special has been killed off by George Lucas. Basically, said he didn't want it, he didn't want it to be seen again. And yeah, that's but, why it's never been out there particularly. Well, he doesn't own it anymore, does he? Bad luck. Tough. I just like to say about the the holiday special though is that Lumpy rocks, and he should have had his own spin-off TV show slash series. You know, it, 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 he's incredible. Right, um, yeah, yeah, fair point there, Pete, yeah, absolutely, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he's buried or he's tried to bury something in a in a contract somewhere where the holiday special can't be released until like 10 years after his death or something bizarre like that, but <laughs> never mind. Right, Jason, so obviously the whole point in Disney Plus, I think, is to make money, and uh, they're not looking at losing money, so um, this, I'd imagine, is costing them very little, it may just be... I don't want digitizing things, uh, remastering them, whatever they're doing. But obviously, they're looking for content to attract new subscribers. So, can you see anything here at all that would be looking to attract new subscribers and uh, to help fund any new content? Uh, you want movies and the whole special? Uh, no, not a single new user. Every, I mean, people are coming to Disney Plus and um, its rivals for you know event pro- programs. So, like The Mandalorian was the big one for Disney Plus. And with Marvel, they've, they've had one division, which was a fantastic success. And now they've got the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And people are signing up in droves to see these things. You know, it's like, you know, there's an event, movie, film, TV series going on when as soon as it airs, your Facebook feed is just full. And, and you know, when Jack, Jack Snyder's Justice League came out a few days ago and just like every other post on my Facebook feed was people going, Jack Snyder's Justice League. It's, it's an event. Yeah. And. If you're not if you're not on the platform that gets you the event, that's what people are signing up for. Rich, just sorry, just before you go on that, just pick up that point from Jason. And um, if you think back at back in the day, um, when TV was the only thing you really kind of had as to watch, you think all those times when like when Star Wars was first on TV, everyone was talking about it. It was a, an event. It brought people together. You all talked about it. You know, even people who weren't interested in Star Wars talked about it. And I think what just what Jason said there actually is actually these things Disney Plus and channels like it. It's actually bringing that back a little bit that you can all talk about, it, even if you don't really like it. 
you, you know, most people have these channels now, so you can all kind of tune in on something and talk about it. And when they do release these shows, you know, once a week, you know, and I know people watch it sort of different times during the day. I mean, Jason gets up at 12 midnight to get his fix and straight away he's watching it. It, it does. It, it really does add to society, really, because you're all talking about the same show. I think it's I think it's a really good, positive thing, especially in this, these dark times that we can all come together and watch the same thing and talk about it. Certainly for The Mandalorian, I was watching that when it aired at 8 o'clock in the morning to avoid the spoilers. For the Marvel series, I have been waiting until the evening and just tuning out. But but certainly Mandalorian was just, it's like a movie. You've got to see it immediately or you get spoiled. But it's fun knowing that, that, that people all talk about it. Even people who don't really, I'm not massive into Star Wars, they were talking about it because it was a big event. I think it's just, it's just great. It's really positive fun to have this sort of, uh, you know, big show that everyone's into. So any person Pete sort of deviated into this area, but is there anything missing that you think Disney are really missing the trick and what should they get up on there? Yeah, I'll answer that, Rich, but I've got to defend the Ewoks movies first, um, and not just because of who our special guest was is uh, this month. They're actually not that bad. I mean, when you watch those movies you've got to remember they are tv movies they are aimed at a family audience at kids they uh, they do um skew slightly lower in terms of age range than the star wars trilogy but this was in an era where you had movies like legend and krull and willow and they hold up really well against things like that they're good they're entertaining and for kids they are really really good i watched them a year or two ago with my kids um who uh, at that time were in the sort of eight to ten age bracket and yet we all really enjoyed them got a lot out of them so uh, yeah um i hope they get a new audience on disney plus and they get a lot of new fans because uh, they are worth watching in terms of what's still missing well I think the Ewoks cartoons are coming to Disney Plus, but I don't think the Droids cartoons are yet. I don't know whether there's some licensing issues there or something like that. But uh, certainly Droids cartoons, uh, if they are not coming this time round, um, then that's a, a big um, chunk of action that's missing. The rest of the holiday special, now as the guys were saying, uh, you know, it, bits of it are cringy, other bits of it are worth watching for some of the uh, some of the costumes. Um, some of the cantina aliens, some of the behind-the-scenes footage or the d- deleted footage from Star Wars that you can't see anywhere else. There, there are bits and pieces in there that are of significance, so I'd love to see the whole of the holiday special put up on there. Otherwise, I think the only other thing is the Beneath the Dome TV movie. Do you remember that one, R2-D2 Beneath the Dome? 2001, that was. It was a, a jokey thing about R2 um and uh, how he lived his life and it was a sort of expose of his celebrity lifestyle it was a lot of fun um so yeah it'd be nice to see that one pop up as well holiday special should be retitled snaggletooth the movie i think star wars detours is what pete was alluding to before I, that was it i've watched it. all those clips and i thought they're really funny um yeah. I, I am led I, I do get the dated with some of the music that they've chosen to put on there um i, I get that but uh, they're just fun and, and you're right you know I mean, look at look at what War Chicken's done. Look at what Family Guy's done. You know, there's a gap there. Um, they've been recorded. They're on a shelf. Just whack them up there. Put put a disclaimer on them to say that these have got nothing to do, you know, with Star Wars canon, whatever you want to call it. I just think they're going to be fun for people to go watch. Or you can stick them on the Star Wars website. Put them on the website, and people clearly, you know, will know that there's something different. But never mind. All good stuff. And uh, if it funds your content, then I'm all for it. The moon with the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. 
Well, Echo Live goes live, Richard. Finally, we've got we're 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 getting out of our of our cocoon and we're finally going somewhere nice. We're going to do something. We've got an event to look forward to. Oh my word! Yeah, Peter. So Echo Nine, August the seventh, two thousand and twenty-one, at the usual Kingfisher Shopping Centre in Redditch is the the date that's been touted. So I think, well, I've definitely been there. Jason, you've been there. Pete, I'm sure you've been there, since that's on your doorstep. I don't remember right off the top of my head. Um, Andy, you've been there because I've taken you down before. Um, Andy Preston, I don't know if you've been. Guys, so what are you thinking then? The shopping centre in Redditch. I mean, how is this going to be managed? Because there's still going to be some social distancing controls still in place. Whether it's a one-way system, um, everyone's got to wear masks. You know, how is this going to work? Andy Preston is it with shopping trolley? So yeah, he was definitely there. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been there. I've done. I've done, I've done interviews there for for the Vintage Rebellion, yeah. uh, Rich. So, uh, so clearly, someone's not been listening. That's where, that's where I first met you, Andy, wasn't it? You interviewed me. I think it was, yeah. It, it's only me, Rich, that, that I've only been once, and that was because I was coaching on a set. But now I'm not only coaching, I can actually go to one finally, properly, because I think I went in for about half an hour, met Andy, got a book off him, bought a few bits of tat, loads of Amidala stuff, and then nicked off to go back to do some football-related things. Yeah, it's so great to hear that Echo is coming back. I mean, it it was just uh, about to happen when the lockdown happened first time round, wasn't it? It was. Uh, yeah, touch uh, and go, wasn't w- it? W- yeah, was was it April? Yeah, April twenty twenty, so. and everything was ready. Everyone had their stuff prepared. Everyone got their swag ready. I'd done my badges to give out, and then um, literally a few weeks before the event, lockdown happened, and that was that. So, it's lovely to see it coming back. Anybody who's not been to Echo, well, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, what a fantastic event. There must be 60, 70 stands selling mostly vintage, some modern Star Wars stuff, um, some uh, artists, um, some uh, special uh, special guest signers, usually four or five cast or crew from the Star Wars trilogy. They had Bob Breakin from Panatoy along one year. Costume characters wandering around, photo opportunities. It's a really, really good day out. And uh, that's to say nothing of the social that happens before and after it. So yeah, I was, rec- was going to say the big question isn't whether you have to wear masks in the shopping centre and socially distant. It's how are we going to get around the pub afterwards? Is it, how's that going to work? I mean, that's the important thing that people think about. How are we going to get 20 blokes around a curry table for curry? But, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, per- personally, I'll probably have had my second jab by sometime in June. But some younger people aren't going to be getting their second jabs till probably sometime after that. So you would imagine that there there are going to be, you know, the the, the mask and the distancing restrictions in place. Maybe they have to have less traders in there, or the more spread out. Although well, they have, Jason, have people Jason, in or out the value, at, in and out the venue, have a very Jason, limited Jason, number. Have a think about what's happened. We've got hardly any shops. I mean, my local shopping centre, half the shops have gone. So I would think there'd be quite a lot of empty space. Well, it's the same. It's the same space they use it now. They've they've, they've got those couple of corridors, and uh, mm-hmm. you know they've they've been using the whole of that level. So um, I, would think, I would think the shop units. A lot of those will be empty. I think I think what will probably happen is that uh, trade well will have to wear masks. I think they will have to limit numbers. So once it reaches capacity, there'll be a one in one out kind of thing going on, like you get at the supermarkets. But again, as as with all things COVID related, you know, you think things can change. We'll just have to wait and see. I'm sure if they, if, if if logistically, if there's a problem having it on that date, they'll they'll push it back. You know, if it's not safe, they'll push it back. I would think. 
I think it's pretty unlikely that I'll be there because I think around about that time anyway, um, going on a family trip down south probably will, will be around the Cornwall area at that point. So that's a shame. But yeah, well done, Echo. Advertising it well in advance, which always a plus. Um, and I just hope that it's success and it takes off. Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range, 15 minutes. Star Wars accent lights to get you in the mood. What mood are you getting in, Richard? You're always in a mood. Always in a good mood, Pete, you know me. Yeah, indeed. A positive mood, Richard, and Star Wars. Yeah, Pete, so the Star Wars Collectors Archive have been putting out some amazing adverts over the last year, and many of them I've never seen before. Um, magazines going all the way back to 77, um, clippings of newspapers, absolutely brilliant stuff. And I think it's Ron who's written this, and he's put on the top there, this week's ad is from the TKRP merchandise catalogue and displays some curiously, and in quotes, not official items. What is your favourite? The knight, the robot, or the ape? Circa 1979. So the advert, see at the top, it's an accent lights forward slash booklets. Here are items that do not fit under the official banner, but are still fine items to add to your Star Wars collection. I call these accent lights as is that what they are. They add accent to any room with their blinking internal lights. Each is a handmade item and comes with all lights, a cord with inline on off switch and all parts. When first introduced last spring, these lights sold for $50 each. I dropped them to a much more affordable price of $30 and fans like them even more. <laughs> I love that. Now I can offer you a pair for $50 or all three for $75. Now seeing these are not, in quotes, official products, they do not bear the, quote, official names, which are copyrighted by 20th Century Fox. So even though the knight looks like Darth Vader, he can't be called that. The same with Robot and Ape, even though we all know they are made after R2-D2 and Chewbacca. So to avoid any, in quote, imperial entanglements, we shall use the unofficial names and you can decide. This way we're all happy. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant, I love it. So we've got the Knight, which is obviously Darth Vader, and we've got R2-D2 as the Robot, we've got Chewbacca as the Ape. Now in the comments um, from that post, Post there for Mike, um, I don't know how to pronounce his surname, it looks like it's Jackaroo or something like that. Tom Kennedy, who ran TKRP, was a great guy. He did carry a slew of official items from Sigma and others. This must have been early on, as I'm sure his later catalogues didn't have the, quote, other stuff in. Probably once he got his official license. And, and this is cheeky to the extreme, you know, it's absolutely unbelievable. I love it. Um, so Pete, I mean, those images there, they are so you. So you. So, so what are your thoughts of those three items in particular? And have you seen them working? YouTube videos with flashing lights. Have you seen them? <laughs> yeah. So I was just looking at the uh, the R two D two one. It's absolutely ridiculous. It actually looks that picture in the the if that's the same thing, the picture doesn't do any justice when you see the the video of it. It's brilliant. I mean, it's absolutely. I mean, this this is pure gim crack because it's it's you know exactly what it is. And you know what each of the three are, but because of the way they've been made, you know they, they are kind of like I don't know. They just it's almost like child draw childlike drawings of things. I mean, Darth Vader's head just looks a little bit too long and floppy, and <laughs> ape. Well, can't go wrong with an ape, can you? Let's face it, even if it's not Chewbacca, but you know he's got his bandolier. I mean, they are they are just you know there's, this is what it's all about, and you know um, licensing ruined things. This this is what it's all about. This is like someone's someone's creativity here. <laughs> but yeah, that oh yeah, just they, these are cracking. I tell you what, they weren't cheap, were they? When they were out, I mean thirty dollars back in whatever year it was. Let's say it was nineteen seventy nine. 
that's not that wasn't cheap. That was a bit pricey, I think. The robot is eight and a half inches high. The knight is twelve inches high, and the ape is nine and a half inches high. So yeah, they're pretty beastly. But yeah, definitely up my alley. I wouldn't want one. Want one not to own one, but I would. But as a kid, I would have loved it. Yeah, they probably are pricey, but um, I can't imagine Carrot Lambs being too cheap back then either. Andy Spoons, the cheek of advertising, not official items. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? We do see it, don't we? I think um, Andy Preston's got the the force beam, so that was that was there plastered on the back of the Marvel comics. It did happen around that time. It didn't happen for very long because Lucasfilm clamped down. It is a it is a cheek. Clearly, they are Star Wars characters. I think you could probably argue you could make a case that Chewbacca is an ape. His uh, his bandolier looks more like a bejeweled handbag strap, and he. And he does look like a monkey. In fact, we watched uh, King Kong this weekend, the original 1930s one. It could be a King Kong toy there. He's not really that Chewbacca-like. But clearly R2 and Darth couldn't be mistaken for anybody else. So, yeah, it's very cheeky. I'm amazed they weren't uh, sued to high heaven. Um, but, yeah, if you can get away with it, get away with it. Now, only person I've brought in there, have you seen anything like this before? It's so brazen. You responded with, yes, I have the night. I didn't literally mean, have you seen these before? I meant, have you seen anything else like it before? Tell me about the night, then. Why have you got it? I don't think it falls in um, British Star Wars merchandise somehow, but go on. No, it doesn't, Rich. I got no idea where I I got this from, actually. I must have picked it up years and years ago, and it, it must have been something cheap. I mean, I, I do love it, as, as you said earlier, the sculpt um, and the fact that it's so obviously a, a cheap knockoff. Uh, it's it's great. Mine's a little bit different. It hasn't got the lightsaber and it hasn't got any wiring or anything inside. It's just a hollow ceramic piece. So again, whether it's cast off uh, one of these, I, I, I don't know what the lineage is. But yeah, it's a, it's a nice fun piece to have. But uh, yeah, so brazen you've said, and yes, it certainly is. Um, Charlie Lippincott in charge of merchandising back in the day. I imagine he would have absolutely flipped if he'd seen this advert, and there would have been a a cease and desist letter going out very very quickly. Yeah, but in those early days, there was a lot of stuff, wasn't there? Spoons has mentioned the force beam. Um, there were knockoff badges. There were knockoff T-shirts. There were all sorts of merchandise that people were rushing out and trying to beat the official stuff. And uh, I don't know whether it was turning a blind eye to it uh, as, as much as uh, that they couldn't keep up with um, the unofficial stuff. Uh, as I say, um, Kenner would send out cease and desist and the lawyers would uh, would get involved. Uh, you know, in, in those early days, I think a lot of people were playing fast and loose and hoping they'd make some money before they were told to stop it. And Jason, I'm coming to you last. So three interesting characters. Uh, clearly, they went for ones that are not human likeness, possibly that have you know more, more problems going down that area. Um, and then equally, I suppose, you know, you don't often see anything that's a human likeness that looks remotely wantable <laughs> from that time period. Um, but what's missing from the set, what do you say? So we've got the robot, we've got the... Uh, ape and we've got the knight well i've got i've got luke down as as, as farm boy and then um han could be he could be a pirate or scoundrel maybe in the line then to be a hermit leia i've got down as princess but maybe more of a snow maiden because she's in white and then uh c3po just android or golden one maybe mm, golden rod i reckon leia might have been like an angel Mm. I'm going because I mean no one knows what a farm boy is. What's a farm boy? I mean, what could what Luca could have been? Um, 
I don't know. Uh, village karate, idiot. Kai, the, a karate <laughs> master. Talk, talking of golden rod. Karate kid. Rebel. He's just the rebel thing. Rod. Looking at the picture of Darth Vader there. Yeah, but I mean, if, if uh, Darth Vader's a knight, then uh, uh, Luke's going to be something different. Han would have just been. Luke, Luke would be rebel. Han gambler. Pirate's good for Han, actually. I think that's yeah, a, yeah pirate or gambler, yeah, yeah. What about Ben? Uh, granddad, Father Christmas y kind Father of thing. Father Christmas, yeah. yeah. Hermit. Wizard. Wizard. Yeah, wizard. yeah, he'd have been a wizard. He wouldn't have been a hermit. No one knows what hermit is. Wizard would have been a good thing. You don't want to buy a hermit, do you? You want to buy a wizard. Rebel base, one minute and closing. Chipstake becomes one with a four. Sadly, another passing away of someone we all know. Very sad. It, it is, Pete. So, so Chipstake uh, regularly commented on our Facebook page. He was a listener at the show and uh, provided us lots of feedback. Um, others will know him as Declan McCafferty. Um, he has been ill for some time, but I think certainly to us, his death was quite sudden. So real sad news to um, hear of that. Uh, I don't think I ever met Declan. I do know that he had been to some cons, but I'm not sure that I did actually meet him. I don't know if he went to Father's Farm or whether by that point he was already in his wheelchair. Um, his Facebook photograph shows that he had quite a specialised uh, piece of equipment there. And we're also aware of David Gilligan on the Imperial Commissary Group. Um, he's also passed on over the last week or so. And I was reading some comments um, related to him today. Um, whereby he was going to go to the ICCC um, as his first con. He was quite a shy guy, um, interacted a lot online, but then bit the bullet and agreed to go down. Um, I think it was with Dan Lotz from memory, and he's obviously sadly passed on as well. So we've lost two um, vintage Star Wars collectors, both very, very sad. Nice to see on Star Wars 1 UK. There were lots of messages about Declan, um, started off by Ed Jedi. Um, lots of comments on there from forum members who've interacted with him a lot. And I think, I think Andy Preston, you, you may have had a, a, a fair relationship with uh, Declan. Yeah, um, I, I didn't know him personally. Again, I uh, don't think I ever met him, but uh, um, he and I had a lot of uh, collecting interests in, uh, um, in common. Um, he liked the Beyond the Toys stuff, uh, as I did. He was on the Beyond the Toys group and on the Star Wars Phenomenon in Britain group. And, uh, yeah, we'd chat online and uh, bounce comments back and forth. And he always came across as a lovely guy, um, really good sense of humour, uh, very chatty. Um, used to post an awful lot, uh, both on the forum and on uh, the different Facebook groups. And uh, yeah, gonna, gonna gonna miss his contributions. It's uh, it's very sad to see him gone. Rebel base, one minute and closing. Uh, so Landon Calrissian, I put this on the show notes here, Rich. Uh, this is about Cameo, the app Cameo, which is actually very exciting. I think. Do you know anything about it? I do, Pete. I do because I've seen this a number of times now where people like David Hasselhoff and others for a small fee, although they never always hear <laughs> what this fee is. And I'm not sure it's small. For a small fee, they've offered to record like a birthday message or something along those lines. So, yeah, it's, it's all over Facebook at the moment. So I believe that you found something that's got a Star Wars connection. Well, yeah, if you go on there and search things like Star Wars, you do get a bunch of actors. Now, <laughs> Star Wars one, there's not... There's there's a few kind of randoms. There's a few people who played costumed figure um, characters, which I kind of think would be a bit weird unless they put the costume on. I think the, the probably the biggest kind of Star Wars character would be Billy D. Williams, um, and he's about 220 quid, I think it is, which actually sounds a lot of money. But you're thinking, okay, what would you normally pay at celebration for an autograph? Someone like Billy D. Williams. I mean, without being horrible, he's not the youngest chap in the world. 
And with, uh, you know, COVID stopping conventions, how many of the chances are you going to get to get an autograph of him? Because I'm not really sure if he's a big signer of things uh, these days. Um, so what better than getting a personalised message? Now, I did read some of the comments because you can actually watch the vid- some of the videos he's done. And there were a couple of people who were being very polite and said that he got the names wrong, but it didn't matter. And, uh, of course, he record whatever you ask him to record. Um, and for 220 quid, he should do. But uh, I was having a look at who else was out there, Star Wars-wise, that I'd be interested in. I think probably the only one I'd be interested in would probably be Katie Sackhoff. She was a, about about the same price thing, about 250 quid. Um, it'd be quite fun. But I was just wondering what, if you guys had looked at it and, and who would you choose if you, if you had the opportunity? So, so they have to be living... And how much would you pay for them to give him a show? I mean, you know, I'm sure like Harrison Ford would be well up there. But uh, so, uh, um, Preston, you're normally someone who goes in for this sort of thing. What, what, what would you pay and who would you be interested in? Yeah, well, you, you've just thrown me off, Pete, because you said they have to be living. Um, I yeah, thought... got, got to be living. <laughs> got to be living. Well, I, I thought the perfect one would be Carrie Fisher. I would love to have Carrie Fisher record a message for me. Now, obviously, that's not possible anymore. But uh, um, what I would quite like is to have a message that i could use as my uh, answer phone message Ooh. and to, to get carrie saying why you stuck up half-witted scruffy looking nerf herder leave a message after the tone i think that would be, just be perfect ah, well maybe get her uh, standing you know catherine tabor i think she i thought she was on there but i couldn't find her but um you know she played layer in everything else these days that but, would be a good good option wouldn't it yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there's other characters out there. I mean, imagine getting B.D. Williams to do some of his lines from the film. That would be that would be pretty cool. But he's probably like, no, I can't do it. Go on, Spoons. Who would you go for if you had a, if you had a couple hundred quid going around? Well, the obvious one would be Mark Hamill, just because he's he's such good fun, isn't he? But I would I'd be tempted by uh, Frank Oz doing Yoda. You know, Ooh, you just, good call. You could just have a uh, yeah, just have a uh, an answer phone message in backward speak saying saying that I'm not here. Um, and interestingly, I had thought about this one, but in light of uh, Jason's uh, character earlier being R2D2, I thought actually having Power Droid just going gonk 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 would be <laughs> would be um, the original Power Droid actor. Yeah, and I and I checked out. I don't know. If we're going to talk about this later, but I did check out the prices of um, of the various people on there. Do you, do you know what the the cheap? Well, the cheapest person I found is any any guess what that might be? I know there's people on there for like twenty quid who I've never heard of. It's uh, less less than that, Pete. Less than that. Less. Oh my goodness, be paying people to do it. Three three pounds seventy five <laughs> for for. Uh, for Gattis Candice, and Ooh. I've never heard heard of them. They were on one of those um, oh, like talent show things. I, I looked them up. But for three pounds seventy five, I reckon, Jason, what were you on? You were on like uh, Crime Stoppers or something. Where were you? The uh, the Toy Tony thing. I reckon Jason on there for two pound. We could do that, can we? Jason on cameo. Yeah, we can make a fortune. But there, there was, two pounds. I'd have a go. Um, my 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 personal choice would be to have. Uh, Dermot Crowley, the the actor who plays General Modine, wearing a Darren McLeese General Modine beard, doing uh, doing an advert spot for General Modine Sexy Club. That would just be uh, <laughs> the absolute pinnacle. I tell you what, there's a, there's some reasonable price. I mean, like Amad Best, you can get him for seventy five quid. I, I think that's pretty good. And Ray Park as well, seventy five pounds. It's not actually that bad, is it? 
It's not bad. But did you, I, I first heard about this, saw an article about James Buckley, who's Jay from the Inbetweeners. Did you, oh, any, did you see that? He's making an absolute fortune. So he was only 35 quidish to do his um, his thing. And basically, I, I know this is a family show, but people just wanted him to say briefcase wanker. And he was he was doing loads of these a day, coining it in. And he's basically been told to up his up his rate. But he's on. Um, I can't remember what the actual figure was 100, 200 grand a year just from doing oh, cameo quotes for the in between us so I, I thought it'd be a good one for getting him to say star wars friend for uh for star wars father if, he, if he's making all his money making on on briefcase wanker he's still got bus wanker in his back pocket yeah he's genius <laughs> i tell you, i tell you another good voice um who only appears as a voice really emily swallow from the mandalorian who played the armorer she's she's 37 quid and you yeah. get to say all sorts of mandalorian lines couldn't you i mean you know Get to wear a helmet, put a helmet on. I noticed that Katie Sackhoff had done one in a helmet, in a inside of a helmet, which is quite amusing. But uh, yeah, there was a few bargains. Hugh Quashy was in episode one, seventy-five quid. How can you say that's a bargain, seventy-five quid? Like Warwick Davis was doing a uh, one for twenty quid about four or five years ago, and so was Kenny Baker as well. If we all chip in, can we get them to do some spots for the Vintage Rebellion? That's yeah, you could bad, do. Not a bad idea, is it? <laughs> exactly. It's not not that. Uh, not that expensive, but uh, we can get well, Paul Tuttle for thirty-six pounds seventy-five. <laughs> <laughs> you can get Ula for thirty-seven pounds. Oh, sorry, for fifty pounds. That's good. We could have a, that. Would be a good one, Ula. Yeah. Although they could probably get to do it. Well, you, Rich, any, any want to take your fancy to do a phone message for you, maybe? Or even uh, it, it, it would have to be either James Earl Jones or Mark Hamill. It, 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 nobody else would be. I think. Yeah, Harrison Ford, but he's a grumpy old. <laughs> no cantankerous git, so I don't think somebody I'd want to do it. I tell you who would be good. He's not Star Wars, but it'd be good to do something. It's John Cleese. He's John he's Cleese. well up for he's well up yeah. for doing stuff. He John does it all Cleese, the time. Yeah. He's about two hundred quid though. He's not cheap. That's not bad for so John. So you're seeing like some guy who's virtually unknown who was in the movie yeah. for like five seconds at seventy five quid, and John, and that's a bargain. But John Cleese is two hundred <laughs> quid. You know, one of the world's most funniest comedians ever. Yeah. <laughs> is Brian Blessed on there? Oh, actually, no. I'm saying no. It's £337.50, John Cleese, but hey, that's not bad. Sorry, who, who, who was that? Sorry? Is Brian Blessed on there? Now, that Brian Blessed. Oh, I can't see him doing it. Oh, my God, the search on this is really bad. It keeps reloading. Uh, Brian. I'd love, I, I might actually pay to get Brian Blessed on my answer phone. No. Sorry. Oh. That is a shame. I bet if you, just, I bet you just go around his house, he'd do it for you. You wouldn't need to. If he could, he could, he could just shout. You'd hear him. Gordon's alive. <laughs> Is Anthony Daniels on there? He'd be a good one, wouldn't he? Ah, uh, he's not. That's you've a got, me, actually. You've got Grandmaster Flash. Are you up for that? Dougie Fresh as well. He's seventy-four pound twenty-five. Seventy-four. With all seventy-four. David Hasselhoff. Let's see how much David Hasselhoff is. Hasselhoff is. I bet he's not cheap. Three hundred seventy-four pounds. Are you a fan of Right Said Fred, Pete? Uh, not really. Bargain, £50.25. I don't know if that's all of them. <laughs> it better be. One or three of them. <laughs> I guess one of the things is to keep your eye out on, on the uh, on Cameo, because I think more and more people are going to jump onto this. Um, I would think a lot of Star Wars actors would probably get onto it once they realise it's a bit of a cash cow. Because like you said, anyone who's got a cool line should really be getting on there and cashing in, you know, 
you know any of the imperial troops and anything like that they should be getting on there and going right let's do this let's make some money because you know you do 10 a day and you're john cleese you're laughing aren't you Lucasfilm's The Ewok Adventure at 8, 7 Central. Sunday. So we're very pleased to welcome today Eric Walker to the Vintage Rebellion. Uh, now, Eric, as you'll all know, is best known for his role as Mace Tawani in the Ewok movies. Uh, but Eric is also an accomplished author, musician and broadcaster. We're going to get into all, all of that later. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for joining us all on the Vintage Rebellion today. And uh, also joining me is, as co-host is Chris Porteous. Hello, Chris. Happy to be here. I've been uh, helping out behind the scenes for a long time at this point, but uh, I couldn't resist the opportunity to sit in on this interview on the eve of the Ewok movies being released on Disney+. Plus. Uh, Eric, welcome to the Vintage Rebellion, and thank you very much for joining us today. <laughs> thank you guys for having me. It's my pleasure. No, it's a real pleasure for us, sir. And uh, I suppose the, the best place to start is at the start, isn't it? So how did you first get into acting? What made you decide that that was where you wanted to go? We live in Los Angeles, and uh, so we grew up in the Hollywood area, the L.A. area in California. And my mother's dream was to always see her kids in commercials or on movies or that sort of thing. And uh, so, you know, my, unfortunately, my mother passed away at a very young age. And knowing that that was her dream, um, I just happened to have a strike. Uh, I got kind of got lucky in, in a sense. I was playing. I was uh, six years old. I was playing on a football league and uh, there there was a. A, a fast food chain out here called Jack in a Box. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jack in a Box, uh, but it's a fast food chain like McDonald's. And uh, well, it's, except for the food is a lot better than McDonald's. So um, they came out and uh, they saw that the whole commercial was to have uh, our football team stop at a Jack in a Box uh, after we played a game. So they picked all of us on on the team to do a Jack in a Box commercial. So we did two commercials and I was six, six years old, seven years old at the time. This is about 1977 ish. Um, and uh, I thought, wow, this is great. I, you know, I get to eat the food that I love, fast food, Jack in a box, and I'm getting paid. I, I think I got at that time uh, three, three, about $350 for the day. And back in 1977, $350 is a lot of money even today to be paid per day. So 
Uh, I thought that was great. Oh, this is great. So um, I kept trying to get in, beg my father, please let me get into show business. I really like doing this. And he's just, and he was saying, are you sure it wasn't just that um, you wanted to eat fast food or something? No, no, dad, dad, I really want to be an actor. So I, I pestered him for a number of years. And then when he finally saw I was serious, he said, okay, yeah. And I always use that excuse though. This is mom's dream. This is mom's dream. So, um, you know, that, you know, tug at his heartstrings as well. So he finally said, okay. And my sister happened to go to school with uh, a girl who was an actress. who was one of the Pippi Longstockings back in the day. And she knew some agents. And uh, so she got a couple uh, phone numbers for different agents. And uh, my sister, Teresa, called them and set up an inter interview with them. And the first agent that I uh, interviewed with signed me. And that was Beverly Hecht. She had an agency out here called the Beverly Hecht Agency. That's how it all started. This is around, uh, now we're getting, going from 77 to about 1980-ish. Um, and that's when I really started to pursue acting was around 1980. So that's how it all got started. And were you a Star Wars fan before getting involved in the movie? Or did you have any of the toys or merchandise? I didn't have any of the toys or any of the merchandise, but I was a big Return of the Jedi fan. I had seen Return of the Jedi probably eight or 12 times the summer before I even auditioned for it. So I knew what Ewoks were. So I was very well aware of what I was. I, at first, I didn't know that I was auditioning for George Lucas. That was kind of hush hush. And uh, when I first went in to meet with, uh, I met with John Cordy and the producer, Tom Smith. Uh, they just said that they needed to get me on tape to show the executive producer. Uh, what I looked like because they thought I, w I looked right for the part. Um, so, but they didn't say it was George Lucas, of course. Um, but yes, I was, I would, I would say I was a, a pretty big fan uh, of star Wars as, cause I said, I saw it like eight or 12 times a summer before. So if, so I just got to ask, so if you saw it that many times, I do anecdotally hear that some kids weren't super crazy about the Ewoks at the time. Do you, did you remember having a reaction to them from Return of the Jedi? Or I guess if you saw it 15 times, you must've been fully on board. I was fully on board with, with what they were about. And I had not seen uh, Empire Strikes Back and I had not seen the original Star Wars A New Hope because I was just young enough that I wasn't into going to movies at that time. So I had, I knew what Star Wars was and it was this big phenomenon, but I didn't like I said, the first my first taste of Star Wars was Return of the Jedi, and of course Ewoks. I just thought they were cute. You know, I didn't have any. I didn't have the, these other two movies in this whole trilogy to look back on, like other people did. So, now looking back, I could see why people had issues with them, but I didn't at the time. I still don't. I think the Ewoks are great. Um, I I was, of course, who who wouldn't want to be Luke Skywalker, right? You know, I I wanted to become a Jedi night like luke skywalker and you know of course we played games with friends and like i'm luke skywalker and someone else will play obi-wan kenobi so we were all into all that stuff at the time and do you have any um memories of when you finally did get around to seeing star wars and empire yeah yeah as a matter of fact the, the first time i saw them i was invited to on the 10th anniversary i was invited to a trilogy screening with a bunch of fans and it was over in the cinerama dome which is a this big, huge theater here in, in Hollywood. So I went, I actually saw the trilogy and that was the first time I saw, uh, it just blew my mind. Of course, the first time I saw even Return of the Jedi, it blew my mind because here I was in a theater and 
when the credits rolled, people were clapping and cheering. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange. <laughs> Maybe I need to see these other movies. So, yeah, no, it's a, uh, and of course, my, my favorite Star Wars movie is Empire Strikes Back by far. It's my favorite one. Yeah, I've got to say, I, I, I was a Star Wars fan from the start. I saw the first movie in the cinema um, and I, I love Jedi. I thought it was fantastic. I totally got the idea of the, the Ewoks, the, the primitive little natives rising up against the technical uh, oppressors. And uh, yeah, I, I don't see what problem people have got with the Ewoks. I thought it was fantastic. Um, so you were obviously a, a fan then. Uh, it must have been really exciting when you you heard that you were uh, that you were in line for. Um, I guess w did you think it was the next Star Wars movie? Or uh, but you, you said when you when you first heard about the audition, the opportunity, uh, it wasn't Star Wars mentioned at all. How did all that come about? Uh, what happened was I got a call, and it was the same day audition. Uh, my agent said I called my dad and said, "Eric, I have a general interview for Eric." You, it's just a general interview. You don't have to go by and pick up sides. Sides are the script, what we call them. So you don't have to go by and pick up the script. He doesn't have to learn any lines. They just want to meet with Eric to see if he looks like looks right for the part. And but but in what they're what they were calling it at the time was they said it was for an after school TV special that's going to be an hour long. And Eric is going to play this kind of a tough kid. So have him dressed like a tough kid, like he's a bully or something like that. And of course, that wasn't at all what it was. And when I got there, it was the audition was at uh, the Egg Factory, which was uh, Lucasfilm's headquarters down here in Hollywood, which is on Lancashire Boulevard. It was just right across the street from Universal Studios. It's not there any longer now. It's a subway station. Um, so I went there. I met with John Cordy and Thomas Smith, and they seemed to like me. And they said, you know what, Eric, we really like your look. I know we didn't say this, but would you mind taking the sides of the script and going and, and working on it? We'll give you 15, 20 minutes so you could go work on it with your dad outside so that we could get you on videotape so we could show the, this executive producer, which I mentioned earlier. And I said, in one, one condition, I'll go ahead and do it, but you have to let me do my monologue because uh, at that time I was really this serious actor. I was studying and acting workshops and stuff like that. And, uh, and as an actor, you always had to be prepared for any audition. So, you, uh, so in my repertoire, I had this very serious monologue piece. And I said, let me do that monologue piece. And then, I'll, then that's okay. I'll, I'm, I'll be okay with it, just barely studying the lines. So I went outside, worked on it, came back in, delivered the lines, did my monologue. And, and the interview was over and they seemed a little happy, but they weren't showing it that much. They said, uh, you did a great job. Uh, we're going to show this to the executive producer and we'll be in touch. About a week later is when I did the screen test with Aubrey Miller. That's, that's another whole story. They flew us up to uh, Northern California in uh, Marin County. And uh, we did the screen test at Cordy Films, which was in Mill Valley, which is pretty close. It's a little bit closer to San Francisco than San Rafael. And uh, we did the screen test all day long. We were filming uh, Aubrey Miller and myself. And uh, somewhere about near the end of the day, they were they were they brought out. They said we want to bring out uh, one of the main characters. It's an Ewok. Uh, we want to make sure that Aubrey Miller is not because at the time she was only four years old. So we want to make sure she's not scared of an Ewok. Uh, so they brought out this Ewok on a stick. And she ran up right up to it and started hugging it right away. And she had no fear of it and thought it was cute and looks like a little teddy bear. And uh, so 
that quelled their fears. And then they said, can you give us a few minutes? And uh, I, we said, okay. And uh, about 10 minutes later, uh, they walked out and John Cordy shook my hand and said, congratulations, you have the part. Fantastic. So was, was that the first time that you realized that it was Star Wars related when the Ewok no, came out? Or? Kind of. I kind of had a hint when uh, when I was doing the original uh, general interview because I, I did see Ewok in that, on those side, the original script when I did the first monologue. So I kind of had a hint. I said, I wonder if this is Star Wars. And, and then, of course, by the time I was doing the screen test all day long, I knew it, even though they still didn't say it was George Lucas because they were doing it through John Cordy, Cordy Films. So I still didn't have an idea. I didn't know who John Cordy was. But I, when I was there, I saw Academy Awards. I saw Emmys because John Cordy's won quite a few Academy Awards in his time and Emmys as well. So, um, yeah, I think I knew I kind of knew at that time. And it was like living a dream it was like I kept. In fact, when I got back home. I found it very interesting that back then we had answering machines. I already had a couple messages congratulating me on getting the part. And that was from the time I flew from San Francisco to home. So that's how a couple hours later, I already had people giving me messages congratulating me. And we knew it was a big deal at that time. And it was like, pinch me. I'm going to be involved in something that's like the next Star Wars or something, some sort of spinoff. It wasn't billed as uh, here. It was always going to be a movie uh, for television. So it was something that he was making for television. Uh, we didn't know it was going to get a theatrical release like it got in London and everywhere else. It was just supposed to be a television movie for the American market in Canada. And that was it. But I guess somewhere along the line, he uh, came up with the uh, George Lucas, by the way, came up with the name Caravan of Courage. That was his name. So he renamed it uh, Caravan of Courage and it got the theatrical release. So, but yeah, I was pinching myself all the time. Uh, and, uh, well, wow, this is really exciting. And it's, it's my first starring role because at that time I'd only done, you know, small roles, bit parts. So it was a big deal. Yeah, and a, a hell of a thrill, I can imagine. Um, and your character, Mace Tawani, um, you're really the main lead in the movie. Um, and it's always struck me that Mace is a lot like Luke Skywalker in a way. Um, the slightly shaggy haircut, if I can put it that way. Uh, the orange jumpsuit that's very similar to Luke's pilot outfit. Um, did you think at the time that there might have been a deliberate attempt to sort of link Mace with Luke in some way? I don't think there was a deliberate attempt, but something in the back of your mind makes you wonder if that's why George picked me because I looked a lot like Mark Hamill. And in fact, on the first week we were filming, like for the entire first week, people would say, hey, Mark, and I would turn around and they would see it was a younger looking, uh, you know, Eric Walker, Mace Tawani. But yeah, I looked, I, I'm sure that that, I, nobody's going to say it was that, but I mean, come on, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident that that, the fact that I looked a lot like Mark Hamill probably did help me in some way. Yeah, it's definitely a heroic look, a, a Star Wars look, isn't it? And uh, um, they actually went there with uh, Ezra Bridger in the animated uh, Rebels series. Um, and Ezra had a, a very similar look again um, mm -hmm. in the in, in the first series of Rebels. Um, so it's nice, people, nice to people, see that some, design. There's some fan theories out there that he might be Mace Tawani. You know, some people joked about that. Him or I think it was him, yeah. So I like that. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'm pretty sure that that certainly helped me. But the monologue helped me being a, be, preparing as an actor helped me because later I found out that, you know, the producer didn't hit the record button, but it remembered it like right before I did my monologue. 
So what George saw was me doing that very dramatic piece and crying and this kid that has a tore up life. And, and I actually have the original audition that I, that I did for them. I have that actually, they gave me a copy of it. So I have my original audition. Fantastic. It's a pretty physical role with a lot of jumping, running, climbing, firing weapons and, and such. Did you take that naturally? Was it like anything you'd done before? Well, I mean, I was always very physical anyway, because that's how I even got started in the, in the entertainment industry. I was playing on a, a football team and I played baseball too. So I was uh, always into sports and uh, very athletic to begin with. But I mean, it was a very demanding role. I mean, I did, I did train. They actually hired a trainer to train me before I did the movie because they thought, you know, I was this pudgy little kid overweight kid and uh, they asked me to lose 35 pounds to do the role i ended up losing 30 i was really upset that i didn't get 35 pounds because they said can you lose 35 pounds i lost 30 they were thrilled that i lost 30 pounds because we started filming like uh, only like a month later so i lost 30 pounds in a month and uh, they hired a trainer for me his name is bob yerkes and he was a well-known stunt uh coordinator and uh stunt artist he he used to train all the stars for, uh, I don't know if you guys have it out there across the pond, but here we had something called Circus of the Stars. And he used to train all the people, all the actors when they did that Circus of the Stars. Uh, he had one of those, uh, I can't say the name of it, uh, you know, when you're swinging back and forth. Trapeze. Trapeze, yeah. So I was doing that. And of course, Mace flies through the air a lot. The, in fact, at one point when I get shot up to the Gorax uh, uh, cage, in the Gorax Castle, I did uh, part of that stunt. I actually flew about 15 feet in the air. They didn't end up using most of the stunt. They ended up using the one where he, where he actually crashes into the cage, which was done by the stunt coordinator. Then, then I, I met, I pick it up after that. So, since you brought up brought up the Gorax, there's something I wanted to ask you about the production in that regard. And I mean, as you can tell, if anyone who's watched the movie, it's a, you have it's a costume performer being filmed at a high frame rate. So his movements, like it looks like a large monster because it's slowed down right. just a little bit. Right. But so when, uh, on, when you had the, the, I guess the scenes in the cave, I'm, I'm trying to think of when you, any other interactions there might've been, but did mm -hmm. you guys, did they, did they have him come out on set and did you have a visual reference for that? Like they did, or, they did let us watch them film some of those scenes. And uh, I, I saw, I read somewhere where someone said it was a, a, a stop motion puppet, but it was not, it was a physical person in a costume the whole time and uh, it was one of the gentlemen that does the stop motion of uh, stuff his name is john berg and john berg is the is inside the costume the gorox costume and uh, th those scenes were filmed by uh, a gentleman who later became the cinematographer on ewoks of battle for endor but on uh, caravan of courage his name is isidore manofsky he did uh, he was doing all the stuff with the gorax and he also did the reshoots when george was directing as well interesting you guys were able to visit the set while they were doing some of the shots of the gorax acting on a stage by himself basically they, yes they did that and uh, and the gentleman actually could do that voice too that big roar i heard him do the roar and he scared the heck out of all of us and it really helped us to you know to have that kind of interaction i was glad that they let it let us do that and go watch a little bit of it so we knew because we all the shots were with us with the gorax are blue screen shots 
So we're not when they put us together, that's all blue screen. Yeah, that's what I was wondering if they brought him out or, or if because uh, you do hear those complaints from some actors on early blue screen projects where they didn't know what they were looking at. So it's cool that they invited you guys out to actually see that stuff being filmed. It did. It did. It definitely helped us for sure. Uh, be able to uh, pretend and visualize you know, what that giant monster looked like because we were able to see what he looked like prior. So that was that was a good visual aid, but it was very difficult uh, while working with blue screen effects and all the other practical, uh, the practical effects on a set help a lot too when, you know, squibs are going off. Uh, but, you know, you got to pretend like you're when you're, when I'm firing the laser blaster, you got to just just believe that it's a laser blaster and you just you you see the squib go off so you know it hit something so and the sparks fly and uh that and there's one in fact there's a scene in the very beginning of the movie when you first see mace and he's threatening the ewoks and the the blaster goes off the squib uh, was so close to me that it sparks actually went inside my boot and started burning uh, burning me at one point so i got a little burn on my and and uh, got a hole in my sock but i was okay but little things like that could happen uh it's all part of being an action hero i guess i mean yeah. uh, what, what a what a fantastic role to kick off with um it, it really was a a good lead action um role um you were mainly filming out on location um in northern california among the redwoods uh, what was it like being out on set on uh, not, well, not not on set out on location? It must have been quite an adventure with all the film crew and uh, all the wagons and everything else. It was definitely it, it definitely helped, you know, putting on that you know that orange flight suit and being in a very exotic location like that in these big where these redwoods are at. We weren't up on Return of the Jedi. They filmed the where the big larger redwoods are up up like around Crescent City up near the Oregon border. But they couldn't do that. It was too far away. So they found this nice patch of uh, redwoods uh, pretty close to a Skywalker Ranch. Uh, the name, uh, most of the time we filmed there, uh, it was called Roy's Redwood Preserves. You can look it up. It's actually, I think it's a state park, but it's Roy's Redwoods. You can look it up online. That's where we shot most of the, most of the Caravan of Courage. And uh, also uh, on the second Ewok movies, they were using the archery range a lot in that area as well. Of course, we also filmed on Skywalker Ranch, a good portion of it as well. And at the time, they were just starting to build Skywalker Ranch. So the only thing they had finished was the main house. They didn't have all that other stuff done. So they were just in the process of just he was just starting to build his empire at that point. Yeah, um, I mean, in, in terms of your um, your acting um, and it you've already alluded to the blue screen work the whole movie must have been a real challenge uh, from an acting perspective because you were mostly acting with costume characters uh, the only other human um, in most of the movie is Aubrey Miller who was obviously very young at the time was that a real challenge for you as an actor not having other um, faces and people to to play off well, I mean, the, the Ewoks, when they, they had dialogue, so and uh, written in the script, so they were actually speaking to us, even though, it, you know, later they went and uh, trans did their own language. In fact, uh, on Jedi, the Ewoks didn't have their own language, but for the Ewok movies, they actually hired uh, a lady who actually created an entire lang Ewok language, by the way. Uh, and it's at, they have it. I don't know all the somewhere in the archives. They must have everything. And also on the second movie, the Marauders, they have their own languages as well. Um, so it was quite. It was. It, it wasn't that it wasn't a challenge. I think the effects were more of a challenge than working with actors and costumes because 
they're still speaking to us. They're looking at us. They're interacting with us. Um, so it, working with the Ewoks or other characters that had um, uh, costumes, they were fine. They, they helped. They were, they were believable, and it helps you. Um, for me, it, it, the more the difficult part was like, for example, the there was this these wisties they call them, which is has Queen Isarina, and they look like little fireflies. That was difficult, always pretending because you would be looking at this light they were swinging around, and and some and I had a light in my hand too, uh, which they later got rid of. That all that that stuff and the blue screen that those effects were tougher for me. But as yeah. you mentioned, it is a very physical role. It is the biggest role I ever did. I was the only actor that was on set every single day. In fact, the last day of filming, I was the only principal actor there where they were doing, uh, in, they were at a, uh, someone's house and we were doing the magic pond scene where Mace is trapped underneath the magic pond. So they filmed that in someone's uh, backyard pool. So I was the only one there. Uh, uh, that last day of filming. So I couldn't even say goodbye to everybody, which, and I remember Warwick Davis wrote me a note. I still have the note. He said, I'll see, uh, thank you. It was fun working with you. Sorry, I couldn't say goodbye. And uh, he wrote a comment, a joke we had. He says, scratch your neck, which was a joke we had, running joke on the set. So um, I was going to come on to Warwick. I mean, I, I've met Warwick a number of times. He's a, a lovely chap, very warm and friendly. And uh, you, you guys obviously got on during the filming. Well, we're, we're, we're like two peas in a pod. You know, we're the same age. In fact, our birthdays are only three days apart. That's how right. close we are. We're both Aquarius. My birthday is January 31st. His birthday is February 3rd. So we're like three days apart, born the same year. Uh, yeah, we, were very, we got on very well. Uh, we probably uh, did some stuff we probably uh, regret being teenagers <laughs> looking back. <laughs> you know, bothering some people and acting up a little bit. But we had a great time. And uh you know, he's a great, he, you're right. He's a great person, great personality. Um, the fact that he did that comedy later with Ricky Gervais and all that other stuff he's done in his life. I could see him doing that because he was a very funny person. So I remember even when we were making, doing the making of, uh, for a school project, we did something called the making of, we did a documentary, uh, behind the scenes, look at Caravan of Courage. And I remember he would do all these TV commercials and they were funny. So, uh, he, he had that, great comic timing even as a kid and he has a beautiful family now and he's had a wonderful career i'm so proud of him he's you know he's he's done very well for himself you think this this new ewok movie the title ewok holiday movie will, will stand well i think we're making a very good movie we have very good actors and uh, i think there's nothing like that in television see this will be a two-hour movie of the week and, and most of those stories are not like this at all. They, they almost never have costumes. They're usually about families that are, you know, contemporary life stories or marriage stories or something like that, crime stories. But they never have this kind of look to them. We've got to dig a little deeper into this uh, behind-the-scenes footage that you and Warwick were filming because I've, I've seen the clip that you posted on YouTube a few years back. That's about 12 minutes. Right. I, I feel like I've heard you say that you've got hours of this stuff. Yeah, there's a couple hours footage, yeah. He, he has other footage as well because uh, he, he had his own camera. So he was taking other footage that I don't have. So between the two of us, we probably have two or three hours worth of footage together that's great yeah. and you know i feel like there's an, an more people just looking into and searching this movie than there even was a few years ago when you put that on sure. of course it's a lot of work to do some editing but i 
I'm sure there's an audience for that stuff. I think I not only think there is an audience to for that. Um, I'm actually have already touched base with Disney Plus to ask them if they would like us to do something with that. So uh, keep your fingers crossed. Uh, who knows? <laughs> the the Ewok movies is getting released on Disney Plus. Maybe they'll do. Maybe they'll let us do a Disney gallery like they did with the Mandalorian. I'm down for it. I'd love to take the footage that I have and get other footage from Warwick. Maybe we could even do like a look back and do new interviews with Warwick and myself. And if, if Disney, you know, actually I've, we've actually already mentioned it to them. We're waiting for an answer, but uh, keep your fingers crossed. Glad to hear it. Um, they must be at, at the very least interested in seeing what you've got. <laughs> so I they did say that we're yeah. past that stage. They're, they're at least looking at some of the footage now. Good. Glad to hear it. Yeah, very much so. It was a missed opportunity when the DVD release came out a few years back that there was no commentary and there were no uh, behind the scenes, no extras on there. Um, yeah, I, I think there would be a real market to see this stuff now. Yeah, no, I mean, there's not just that, but there's a lot of scenes that were cut out of the movie. There's a lot of deleted scenes in the Ewa, at least in Caravan of Courage. The second movie was they didn't have as many deleted scenes. There was pretty much what you see on screen was the original script. But the Caravan of Courage had quite a few different scenes. Things changed, deleted scenes. The original ending of the movie didn't happen the way it was written. It was supposed to be Wicket, uh, Mace, and Sindel dancing in the snow as it started snowing. And that's how it was supposed to end. So that whole scene was cut. There was another scene with uh, called the Gulping Flower uh, Glade. Where, um, and in fact, that as actually there's, there's, there's pictures of that deleted scene in, I think, one of Steve Stan Sansweet's books. Um, but that scene was deleted and they put the tree monster in there. That's the reason why Mace is, is he puts the wrong hand, uh, uh, in the tree because that was a, uh, that was a scene that later George wrote and did during the pickup shots. He directed that scene. That was cause they, I don't, for whatever reason, maybe the effects or things didn't look right or they didn't like it. They cut that scene and put the other scene in there, uh, which made it, which had the biggest continuity mistake in the movie because later you see Mace, uh, getting his hand uh, fixed and it's the wrong hand. <laughs> um, but the stuff like that happens. Continuity, er continuity errors happen all the time. That's just part of filmmaking. Yeah, you, you mentioned George's involvement there. Now, John Corti, who was the main director, he's a fantastic director in his own yes. right. Um, but uh, obviously, George, having been the, uh, the, the creative force behind Star Wars, uh, what was he like to work with and how much involvement did he have with the movie and, uh, and on set and on location? Uh, he, from what I understand, he was very heavily involved in behind the scenes stuff. He was doing a lot of the editing with the editor. Uh, he was getting back into it and he enjoyed it so much. And then what happened was we had to do these pickup shots, these reshoots. I mean, nowadays everybody's screaming like, oh, all this conspiracy stuff. Oh, they have to reshoot half the movie. No, that's pretty normal. They were doing that back in the 80s. Uh, they, what, it, what they do is they do pickup shots they, or they do new scenes for whatever reason uh, that they need to do that. And uh, John Cordy had a prior engagement, so he couldn't be there. Uh, he, had to, he was working on something else. Uh, so George stepped in. And in fact, I have a call sheet. The very first day we did the reshoot, it said Director George Lucas on it. The next day, suddenly his name disappeared. Uh, I guess someone got in trouble for doing that. And it said John Cordy's <laughs> name again, but I have, I kept that call sheet, which is a nice uh, piece of uh, memorabilia to have. Um, but yeah, what was George like to work versus John Cordy? Well, as you mentioned, John Cordy is a great director. He's what I, what we call an actor's director. 
And an actor's director is some, an actor, a director that kind of knows something about acting. So they're able to talk with you, help you get through. Like if a scene has to, you have to have a certain emotion, they help guide you through the process because they know something about acting. George is a technical director. Nothing wrong with that. I've worked with a lot of technical directors. They kind of let you do your own thing. They kind of give you a little bit of uh, outline of the character, but they let you do your thing. But they're more focused on how the shot's set up, how it's going to look, and how it's going to be edited. He's probably editing in his mind as he's shooting it as well. That's how brilliant George is. I'm I'm certain of it. You could see his mind working. Very fast-paced. As well, when he's on the set, it seems like everything everybody's moving 100 miles an hour. Um, but he, yeah, he was he was neat to work with uh, and very fast. And were you ever asked to do the scene again, faster, more intense? <laughs> That's funny. Um, I think he said that once or twice. Uh, <laughs> but I, at the time, I didn't think about that joke that everybody says. Uh, so uh, at the time, it didn't dawn on me that that's his typical phrase because this is the first time I worked with him. But yeah, George is, uh, my biggest problem was he would rewrite a scene and I would have like three or four lines. And then suddenly he would hand me, he rewrite the scene in his own handwriting and hand it to me. And suddenly I had 10 lines when I only had three or four lines. And I go, how am I going to remember this? And this is George. I got to, how am I going to memorize all these extra 10 lines and I'm going to be shooting it. So I was like freaking out about that a little bit. Uh, but you, you, you prevail. I wish I would have kept those notes. So I think I threw them away, not thinking at the time. So it would have been pretty cool to, you know, have a copy of George rewriting a scene in his own handwriting. It wasn't even typed. Do you remember what your initial reaction was to the film when it finally came out? Was there a, was there a cast and crew screening that you were a part of? There was a cast and crew screening. I didn't make it to the cast and crew screening because I had a prior engagement. But I was able to catch it uh, during one of the uh, ABC. ABC was having screenings down here. So I was able to go to 20th Century Fox and, and I saw a screening of it. And I got to see, I got to see a longer version of it because originally I think the, the theatrical release was a little bit longer uh, than the TV version. Uh, and it had more credits, of course. Um, so when I was watching it, I saw it in the, mo- in the movie theater and it, it played really well. I, I think it I think we got cheated here in America and Canada because it looked a lot better in, in the movie theater than it did on television. That's interesting that you that you mentioned that because this is a, a conversation I've had with a, a few other uh, Ewok movie enthusiasts. Like uh, there's this guy who does a great podcast called Star Wars at the Movies named Steve Danley. And I was talking to him about this. Like, did the European theatrical release have a different aspect ratio? Like, was it four by three, like the TV version? Or was it was it widescreen? Who, and you're saying it might have been longer. So it's like, I, I can't wait to find out what version we're going to get on Disney+. Plus. It might just be a, a capture of that DVD that came out in 2004. But I hope uh, it's a little more than that. Well, one would hope that they would clean up some things in the movie, like, you know, because uh, they didn't do it at the time. But like when we're in when we're, we're in the Gorax Castle, when we're where the spider webs are, that spider, the lines, uh, the, the strings for the spider, one would hope that they would clean it up and get rid of those. <laughs> you know, that was another big mistake that I just couldn't stand seeing those. And in the movie theater, you almost couldn't notice them. But on TV, I've, I, on the sharper, more sharper quality that they have. HD quality, I could see it more on television than in the movie theater. That's probably why they didn't take the time to get rid of the strings. Well, you know, on on Disney Plus, they did 
uh, animate out a cigarette out of Harrison Ford's hand in Empire of Dreams and some of the behind the scenes footage. So I wouldn't be surprised if they put in I a little work. So. Yeah, that was great if they <laughs> yeah. did, because that was my biggest gripe this whole time. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing it again. Um, I think it's held up really well as a family adventure movie. Uh, I watched it um, on, it was either the DVD or the video release a couple of years ago with my kids and uh, and they, they really enjoyed it. They, they, they thought it was fantastic entertainment. So yeah, it's going to be great to see it again. And as, as you say, to see what little tweaks and uh, changes they might've made. Yeah, are the Ewoks, gonna, are they going to blink on this version <laughs> as well? So, I mean, if they didn't make changes, that'd be great. Um, it is a great film for for kids it's a great family uh, story um that's what people got to remember it's you know it's it's not supposed to be like star wars it's more of a kind of star wars but it's a, a family adventure that that george created yeah and as i say i think it holds up really well even today um so caravan of courage um, was the first movie and as, as you say it was a tv release in america it was a, a, a theatrical release in europe um, when did you hear that a sequel was in the works or, or had that been the plan all along? Well, no, we had planned on, uh, we were signed to do a trilogy, uh, originally because I had, oh, okay. uh, when, when they, when we signed our contracts, we, they had signed us, they had two options to do two more movies. Uh, of course they picked up the second option. They didn't pick up the, the last ladder option. Um, I heard through the rumor mill, there was actually, it got at one point to it, there was actually a script written for the 30 walk movie, but that's uh, you know uh, beyond that i know there's a script out there but i i know they didn't make it so because they were getting too involved and getting too busy with everything else that lucasfilm was doing at the time but uh, from the very beginning george uh had seen this as an adventure uh had seen it as a trilogy that's why he signed us that way um what happened in the second ewok movie my fate and mace's fate and the family's fate and dying like that all happened the weekend before they started the writing sessions. Uh, originally, the Wheat Brothers and George were thinking about, you know, the Wheat Brothers even told me they had some ideas for a family story. Uh, but, you know, what had happened was George and his, these movies were made for, uh, for his daughter, basically, Amanda Lucas. They were kind of like, she loved the Ewoks and he was doing it, doing these extra movies for her. And they had the, the weekend before the writing session, they were watching Heidi. Uh, with uh, were you know Shirley Temple's an orphan, so that's how the idea came. They wanted to make Sindel an orphan and bring in this hermit character like Noah was played by Wilfred Brimley. That's how that all came about, and that happened. If they had not watched that movie, it might have been a different outcome. So, yeah, I, I got to say, I thought it was a bit of a kick in the teeth um, the way that that happened, killing off the parents and killing off Mace um he took a lot of flack that... from it he took a lot of flack i mean the the critics didn't like the second movie that much they thought it was too overwhelming to have such a young girl uh do a role demanding role like that and it didn't seem realistic um it didn't get as good as ratings as the first movie but i thought aubrey miller did an outstanding job i you know of course who wilford brimley did a great job um there was a lot of trials and tribulations that happened as a result on the second movie a lot of stuff went down um, that, uh, you know, is just coming out about it uh, on the set. There was a lot of drama uh, with Wilford Brimley and some, some of the directors, but it's okay. Um, that's, you know, that's the way filmmaking is. You know, you get ideas. In fact, 
uh, him working with the Wheat Brothers, for example, he had seen a movie they did, a screening of a movie they did, and he really liked their talent. So he wanted to work with them. That's how they got the job to direct the second Ewok movie. And they are brilliant, by the way. They're brilliant. Uh, they're, they're, they're a great directing team. They're brilliant writers. Uh, of course, you know that they're involved with the, the Riddick series as well. Um, so um, that's just, that's it. It was a kick in the teeth. Uh, originally, yeah. originally, I was told I wasn't even going to be in the movie. I was told Mace was dead. Uh, something happened. Uh, Aubrey Miller's parents, her mother called my dad and said, Gene, I want to let you know to tell Eric, uh, you know, I wanted to tell you so you could speak with him about it before he finds out. But Mace, he's not going to be in the second Ewok movie. So I was told I wasn't even going to be in it. And it was very upsetting being a kid that was a very young kid at the time. Uh, I, and so it made me more determined when they finally when they said, you know, uh, you know, we're going to go ahead and bring Mace. And they wrote Mace in. And so I decided I was going to go out with a bang and I was going to fight as hard as I could. And I was going to show them for, for knocking Mace out. I'm going to, you know kill as many marauders as I can. So it actually encouraged me on that level. Having had such emotional investment in the story in Caravan and Courage mm -hmm. uh, and the, you know, the, the dramatic rescue and the happy ending, and then to lose Mace and the parents so early into the second movie. Um, I mean, in talking with, um, with, with my co-host Chris here uh, mm -hmm. beforehand, we'd, we'd likened it to the start of Alien 3. Uh, but, uh, you know, in, in the Aliens movie, again, there's the, there's the rescue, there's the happy ending. Um, they, they've saved the little girl. And then the next movie opens and all of a sudden the little girl and the Marine are dead. And you think the android's dead. And it's just Sigourney Weaver carrying on. And you think, what? That's no way to open the third movie. Yeah. And, no, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's exa exactly the same payoff. Missed, missed opportunity. And, uh, you know, and it didn't, people didn't buy it as much. It didn't do as well overseas, even in the theater. It's okay. It happened, and uh, I'm. I was happy to play my role in it. You know what, though? You never see Mace die. You just see his life monitor go off. So who knows? Uh, maybe they could. Mace could pop up somewhere in the Star Wars universe again if if uh, John Favreau or uh, Dave Filoni decided that they wanted to do something. Who knows where it could pop up? It would be interesting. Well, Boba Fett's been resurrected, so you you never know. Exactly. And I mean, yeah, yeah, I do share your sentiment that it's a shame we didn't get to see the character do some more in that second movie. But there is something and I think this is something we're all going to notice when this movie gets put on Disney Plus and a lot of people see it for the first time because they're not they're They're going to find it on a service they're already paying for. They're not going to have to track down a DVD on eBay or something like that. Right. So a lot of I think a lot of people are going to be genuinely re-shocked at how that second film opens up. And I think there's something refreshing just about how weird and different that that intro is and it's i feel like you don't see it, it they they kind of took a chance with it and it's a unique opening and i think that uh it's we don't see us a whole lot of uh gambling like that anymore you don't you know what and, and you know what I, I i hands off to george lucas for for doing that uh it takes some great wavels to do that in spanish but uh it's uh it's uh and and you and one of the things too was when it aired on television here it was the first movie in america that enter that was aired with the parental advisory before the movie started by the way that's a that's a that's an you something very unique not too many people talk about they actually had a parental advisory 
before all those scenes happen, telling kids to kids might be frightened or whatever by what might happen. That's a, that's very interesting because, you know, you're not too far away in time from Temple of Doom, which was the first PG-13 movie, if I'm not mistaken. So Lucas was really affecting ratings uh, all over the place in that era. Yep, it's true. Um, there weren't very many collectibles available from the Ewok movies, were there? Um, which I thought is a bit of a disappointment because um, there was really an opportunity again there. To, they, they could have been licensed a lot more heavily. Um, I've got a few Caravan of Courage items in my collection, uh, but they're mainly cinema bows. Uh, their posters, I've got lobby cards, badges, publicity material, that sort of thing. Is right. it a regret to you that you never had an action figure? I don't see why I don't understand why Mace didn't have his own action figure. He'd been he would have been a cool action figure, a lot of accessories like, you know, remember he had a knife that he used to uh, swat at the spiders. He also had uh, his own little fire starter lighter there. They, he had a, all these accessories on his belt. Uh, he had his blaster. I mean, he would have been a cool action figure. And there's not too late for them to do something if they decided to do something. But. I, I just I think that was a missed opportunity. I agree with you. Uh, I did hear that that Kenner did approach George about doing some action figures, and I don't know if any pro it got to the prototype stage, but I heard that George Vic again he was doing these movies for his daughter, and he wasn't thinking about that as like he didn't think of these movies probably in the same uh, league as his other Star Wars stuff. He should have, but you know he, again he was doing it, so he said no. And it could have been the timing. If you if you you have the right timing with George, he says yes sometimes. So um, I did hear that they were talking about doing it, but then and and, he, they, and ABC wanted a TV series. They kept trying to push him for a television series after this, after the first movie, because it was seen by over sixty five million people the night it aired. It would, did very well, but he said no to that because he wanted to do the, a couple movies, and that was it. And during that time period, I think that the Ewoks cartoon might have been going on at the same time or maybe just during the second movie. But the, that did have its own toy line, too. And then there was a bunch of uh, Ewok figures from the Power of the Force and Return of the Jedi lines, right. too. So it might have been a lot of there were a lot of Ewoks on the shelves already. And That's going to be another reason. Yep. But uh, Hasbro is still looking for new content to bring out. I mean, uh, they, they seem to rehash the same figures over and over, but uh, um, there are new figures coming. Oh, they uh, would sell of... a lot of Maze figures. I get people I, all the time asking. I think, you know. I think they would. Have, have you ever had any conversations more recently with Hasbro? I haven't. I haven't. But I, but I actually had, were working on like a, uh, a Maze action figure for, for me to allow my fans to have which is actually the is being made by one of the guys who made did the original uh kenner stuff back in the 80s so it's going to be a vintage mace figure and he's he's working on it right now as we speak um and uh he was responsible for doing uh walrus man he did uh the original Dewback. he did uh uh han solo on hoth he did that figure uh so he did a lot of really vintage figures for Kenner and he's doing a Mace action figure. Um, he's working on it right now. They could have well, that if they want it, but um, I was trying to uh, put something together just for some fans uh, that been asking for it all the time. That's a very, but, but, very cool because uh, Hasbro did one time put out a Teak figure for a Star Tours set and uh, that did, thing goes yep. for a couple hundred bucks that, that set and that's 2010 or something. So I'm sure there'd be a demand from collectors for that kind of a thing. 
I'm sure there would. I, I was going to ask you, uh, Eric, whether you're a collector yourself, and I, I don't need to ask that question looking at that, <laughs> that display behind you. Uh, do you have any Ewok collectibles? Was there anything that you kept from the movies or anything that you picked up around the time? Uh, well, I mean, at the time, George was uh, just like he did with Warwick Davis. He didn't send me as many toys as he sent Warwick. But George did, for a couple Christmases, send me Star Wars stuff. So I actually have stuff that he sent me. I should check it because some of them might be pretty valuable. <laughs> um, but I have those still. Uh, and I become a really, you know, I'm a big Star Wars nerd and a geek and a star, all sci-fi fan. So um, I have a big collection like you just referenced because uh, they can't see this on a podcast, but you're seeing some of my collection in my home. Um, but I have quite a collection. I, I, I collect everything that I can get my hands on, including stuff that's uh, like from this last Star Wars celebration that didn't happen. I collected everything that they offered there too, even though it didn't happen, uh, which was kind of cool. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm uh, trying, always trying to collect, always trying to. I love I love my Star Wars collection, and that's that's that mo that's the toys I collect. I don't collect any other like Star Trek or other sci-fi uh, brands. I have a few things that people have given me over the time, but you know. Uh, anything Star Wars, I'm I'm down for collecting it. Excellent. Well, I'll, I'll be looking out for that Mace action figure. I've definitely got to sure. pick myself up one of them. Great. Um, so uh, since the movies, you've obviously continued your acting career. You've had a very prolific career in film and television. Um, but what I hadn't realized until doing my research for the podcast is that you're also a very accomplished musician. Uh, you've had three albums out now, I think. Yes, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and uh, and the Star Wars connections in your music. Well, I mean, I you know being you know and as a becoming an actor, you get more, you try to become more of a you try to do more things and become like a double or triple threat. So, you know, I kept studying and I went to the LA County High School for the Performing Arts. Even in high school, I was still studying my acting. And that's when I got picked up my love for uh, playing piano and composing and stuff like that. We would have like a two-hour lunch break, so I'd go into into the music department and I'd get I'd play on the piano for an hour. So I'm pretty much self-taught. Uh, but I started back in high school, so we're going back thirty-something years that I've been playing, and that's my that's my biggest love, uh, being a composer and. Uh, my music's been very uh, compared to, uh, it's very atmospheric. It takes you on a journey. So if you want to just relax, it's not chill music. It's because at some points you could, it would make you want to get up and dance as well. But uh, yeah, I, I was heavily influenced in the, in the eighties and nineties by a, a group called Tangerine Dream. who was very influential in my music, Jean-Michel Jarre as well, Van Gelis. So my music is kind of a combination of all those, uh, uh, people that influenced me over the years. And I have three albums, like you mentioned. And because I'm involved in Star Wars, a lot of times I'll write a track that's uh, that's Star Wars theme. Like on my first album, I wrote a track called Return to Endor. And that track is uh, basically, uh, uh, there's a scene in Caravan of Courage that was cut out where uh, Low Gray was uh, doing this Ewok ceremony where he was summoning the spirits of uh, people that died and I vision maybe Mace if he did die well, who knows maybe he'll come back to life but I filming that scene inspired me to write that song so if you watch uh, you can't see the scene but now you could kind of visualize it if you listen to the music so Return to Indoor is one song on my album called Tangier Dream it's, no it's not a pun on uh, Tangerine Dream it's just uh, 
I uh, did written that song because uh, because uh, I was given this vision. And a lot of times my my music uh, it comes to me in my dreams, and I'll get up and uh, I'll go uh, either if if I'm not too lazy I'll come into where my piano's at and I'll I'll do something no matter if it's three o'clock in the morning. But if I'm too lazy, I'll hum into a tape recorder, whatever the melody is that was given to me or whatever I was hearing in my dreams. And um, Return to Endor was one of those. The title track to that album, Tangier Dream, is one of those. I was I was in my dream. I was in in Morocco and uh, and there was just like this like harmonic type of convergence that was happening. And all the all the uh, nations of the world were meeting there. And it was just like harmonious thing. That's how I came up with that song. But a lot of times my music comes to me that way in my dreams, like I mentioned. And then my second album, Universal Delight, was just a just a fun album. My last album, Brand New Day, I was actually up for a Grammy on on that album. And uh, my music's done pretty well. I do have one. I, I do have my first album where there is. Uh, it's not all instrumental. It's it's gonna each track is gonna have someone singing on it and uh, myself as well singing and. and and doing spoken word. That album's gonna be coming out in June or July. And that has, a, that has a track as well that's inspired by the Star Wars universe. It's That track is called Dare to Dream in a Galaxy Far, Far Away. Uh, we have a music video that's online already, but that's gonna be the first single from that album. But uh, yeah, so I'm just very much, I'm, I'm more, my, in my life right now, I'm more focused on my music. And that's, that's my passion. Yeah, I've I've listened to some of the music on your various channels. I mean, it, it's it's great. It's uh, it, it's multi-layered. It's atmospheric. It's 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 really quite inspirational. It's good stuff. Thank um, you. That la that last track you mentioned, that's the one that premiered at Celebration, I think. Yes, we did uh, the last Celebration in Chicago. We aired it then, but we didn't release it yet. It's going to be on the new album. So fantastic! And uh, where can our listeners find your your, your music? Pick up your albums. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on every major uh, outlet. So if somebody has Spotify, you go to Spotify. If someone has iTunes, I'm on iTunes. I'm on uh, Amazon. I'm everywhere you could get download music, basically. Uh, just type in Eric Walker in, in any of the number of my albums. Uh, what You know, I, Tangier Dream is one of them. Universal Light is my second album. Brand New Day is my third. This next album, I don't have a title yet, um, but it might be uh, similar to, I'm thinking about calling it The Dare to Dream in a Galaxy Far, Far Away, but I haven't made that decision yet. Um, or you could just go to my official music website. That is ericwalkermusic.com is my official website. Thank you. Yeah, I'd uh, recommend checking that out. Um, and you, you're also an author, aren't you? Um, I think you were working on a, a book about the Ewok movies um, that was in the works at one point. Um, uh, uh, can you tell us any more about that and any other projects that you're working on at the moment? Yeah, that 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 book is pretty much uh, done. Uh, I had started it with a Kickstarter campaign because uh, the fans were trying to help me. They wanted me to write it. And uh, it's called uh, Growing Up in a Galaxy Far, Far Away. Uh, the puns here just... <laughs> over and over and over. Um, I haven't released it. I did release a version of the book for the Kickstarter because they were supposed to get a copy of it. So I self-published that book. So there was only like a hundred copies of it out there. So they're very rare if you could get a copy of it. I, I am looking for a publisher. So once I get a publisher lined up, because I don't want to self-publish because I think if I self-publish, uh, they may not get the, uh, you know, I'm not be able to get it out there like a publisher can for me. So I am looking for a publisher. So if 
if any publisher happens to hear this podcast, give me a call. Uh, I am uh, uh, looking at a few right now to possibly get it out sometime later in the year. Fantastic. Again, that's good news. I look forward to seeing that. Um, and then the, the other thing I was going to mention is your, your website, which I've been taking a look through these past few days, all for sci-fi. Um, that's, you... <laughs> that's, that's the geek in me. That's, um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, who doesn't love sci-fi? Not just Star Wars, but sci-fi in general. So I was thinking, you know, why not do it? Why not put a website where we don't just have Star Wars, we don't just have Star Trek, we don't just have you know, Babylon 5 or all the different sci-fi genres out there, Stargate, I, I could go on and on and on. Why not have a universal spot where everybody could go to and enjoy the love of sci-fi? So I created allforsci-fi.com, the whole word spelled out. I have the other acronyms too, but I only got those so somebody can't come in behind me and do something. But yeah, just go to allforsci-fi.com, spell out the whole word and there we we do everything from unboxing of toys, Star Wars toys, to doing reviews of everything that's out. Our latest review is on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is just coming out. But we do everything sci-fi. It's a good channel. As I say, I was uh, I've been taking a look over the weekend. It's certainly one I'll be following. Thank you. Well, that's great, uh, Eric. It's been a real pleasure yeah. speaking with you today. Um, returning to a galaxy far far away um you told me some things that i certainly never knew about the what movies and about your career so uh, that's you. all been really really interesting and uh thank you again for joining us on the vintage rebellion much appreciated yeah thanks a lot oh. eric yeah my pleasure guys it was fun This month, we are going to talk about tops, trading cards. They did other stuff, and we'll mention it, but it is mostly trading cards. The Tops Company Incorporated founded in 1938, but the company can trace its roots back to an earlier firm, American Leaf Tobacco, founded in 1890 by Morris Shorin. The American Leaf Tobacco Company imported tobacco to the United States and sold it to other tobacco companies. American Leaf Tobacco encountered difficulties during World War I as it was cut off from Turkish supplies of tobacco and later as a result of the Great Depression. Shoran's sons, Abraham, Ira, Philip and Joseph, decided to focus on a new product but take advantage of the company's existing distribution channels. To do this, they relaunched the company as Tops, T-O-P-P-S, with a name meant to indicate that it would be Tops and its field. The chosen field was the manufacture of chewing gum.
Their most successful product, Bazooka Bubblegum, was packaged with a small comic on the wrapper and in 1950 the company tried to increase gum sales by selling cars featuring popular TV cowboy Hopalong Cassidy. In 1952, Topps released their first baseball set, becoming a roaring success and it encouraged them to branch out into other popular brands. Gary Garani joined Topps in 1972 as a copywriter and he began working with licensees which could be developed into successful commercial properties using the format of cards and stickers. With renewed interest in Star Trek, he created a card set of the TV show in 1976 that didn't sell at all, which put a question mark over the future sci-fi orientated sets. After the success of Star Wars, Garani reflected. Movers were generally considered an iffy proposition for trading cards prior to Star Wars because they came and went so quickly. In 1977, when 20th Century Fox merchandising pitched Star Wars to Tops, it was an uphill struggle, even though Garani could see potential in the images they were presented from Charles Lippincott. Tops president Arthur Shorin said no initially, but as he began to hear more about the film in pre-release buzz, he changed his mind. Fox had sold the toy rights to Kenner, who had their own card company, Donruss, but they passed on the idea. Topps was ultimately awarded the licence, and a creative team watched the film. What a memorable experience that first viewing was, Garani recalls. It was as if Walt Disney had made the grandest futuristic fable of all time, freshly alive with colour, music and jaw-dropping special effects and heart. As quickly as possible, they put together a 66-card set, along with 11 stickers, wrapped in a wax paper with a stick of pink bubblegum, and released it to coincide perfectly with the pop culture explosion Star Wars enjoyed on its release. That first set was printed from 35mm slides, but because there were so few photographs available, a lot of the images were, by then, iconic, having appeared in newspapers and magazines. Since the images came from the unit photographer taken during filming, there were no special effects shots, apart from a couple of airbrushed images. In addition, to keep a sense of mystery about the sequence, no images of the cantina scenes were released. Garani also wrote the captions and all the back cover copy. The point of sale box used artwork designed around the famous Brothers Hildebrandt poster, but painted by top staff artist Augie Napoli. His family still hangs their artwork proudly in their home in Staten Island today. Amusingly, the only other movie TV property that came close during this era for trading card sales was Charlie's Angels, also launching with five series of cards. This is interesting. Lando. Lando's system? Lando's not a system, he's a man. Lando Calrissian. This card player, gambler, scoundrel, you'd like him. Thanks. Bespin, it's pretty far, but I think we can make it. The mining colony? Yeah, Tabana gas mine. Lando conned somebody out of it. We go back a long way, Lando and me. I love trading cars as a kid, especially Star Wars ones. But trading cars, oh my goodness, I've put together so many sets. Me and my brother were frenzied. We had a set each. My set was the hand-me-down sets. So I had the blue ones, but mine were absolutely wrecked. <laughs> they were all his rejects. Because uh, I was too young to get them, so we had them all pass them down to me. We had the blue set, the red set. Uh, we had Superman. We had oh the black hole. I've just put some bids in auctions, get my black hole cards back. I sold them to someone on eBay several years ago. They it wasn't a complete set, and they got lost in the post. I was gutted. I thought I should have kept them. Someone for like five quid, ridiculous. So I'm gonna try and get them back. Uh, what else do we have? Oh, we had we had so many cards. Anything going? We had cards, Jaws. Oh, my word. So I was a big card fanatic, loved cards. You could do all sorts of stuff with them. 
So what are the rest of the lads? I'm going to speculate this time everyone had cards. I think you were all into trading cards because every kid I know, even the girls, even the girls were into trading cards because they had their own trading card sets, all sorts of stuff. Uh, there was all sorts of cards doing around. It was a big thing. You go into a news agent full of packets of cards just on the desk, on the front, just everywhere, giving away magazines. Oh, it was like a, it was crazy. It, it, it hasn't really changed. You got the Pokemon cards these days. So, Preston, you were definitely into cards. You probably had every single color set. I only ever saw the blue and red sets. Didn't have any recollection of those color sets. But I reckon you were frenzied. I reckon Spoons, yeah, definitely. I reckon Jason, oh, you were definitely a Poindexter in this kind of thing. You were card frenzy. And Richard, you would have got beaten up, but you got beaten up because you had the full set. So let's start with Preston. What did you have? Cheers, Pete. Yeah, I remember having odd cards. I, I don't think I ever put sets of cards together. So it was just what, the ones you? that I managed. Yeah, I, I think it was just the ones that I managed to acquire back in the day. Um, oh. I remember Doctor Who cards, oh. uh, sports cards, football cards were the big one. That's what everybody had at school. I, I had a big pile of football cards and we'd trade those. But uh, the Star Wars ones, I don't think I ever bought them because if I remember rightly, Mum and Dad re- really didn't like chewing gum or bubble gum. Oh. Because it get caught in your hair and your clothes and in the carpet and so on. So, uh, no, not allowed bubblegum. Hang on a minute. Hang on. That disappoints me because the whole point of the bubblegum was you could, you know, you get several packs. They were so cheap. Get several packs and build the biggest bubble you could possibly, which I never did. But I, had, I remember me having mouthfuls of chewing gum. And you could do all sorts of stuff with it. You know, you could throw it at kids. You could throw it at cats, all sorts. Yeah, no, never, never part of my childhood, chewing gum and bubblegum. But uh, I did have some of the cards. In fact... The very first Star Wars collectible I ever had is a blue trading card. And this was given to me in the playground at primary school by a friend of mine. And it's card number 46 in the blue set, A Desperate Moment for Ben. So this is Ben Kenobi on the Death Star. He's got his lightsaber. I see his lightsaber raised. It's uh, it's not coloured in on the card. So it's the, the 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 metal rod that they were using as a stand-in for the lightsaber. Um, and there's smoke going off in the background. And I... I'd never heard of Star Wars, didn't know what Star Wars was, didn't know what this was about, didn't know who Ben what? was. But I thought, well, this looks interesting. This this guy's obviously in trouble. He's got his sword raised. He's got his monk's robe on. There's smoke going off in there. Is, is the place about to blow up? Why is it a desperate moment? And this card really intrigued me. And yeah, that was my very, very first introduction to Star Wars. And I still have that card in my collection today. Just think if you had like a Grand Moff Tarkin card, that would have been really like, oh, an old bloke. That's nice. Life could have been so different and I would probably have had a lot more money. But <laughs> that could be rich. Yeah. Things you're buying, you know, £50,000 jackets. You know, you could you could have had an extra house to put all your uh, well things you haven't collected in. You have oh, two houses. This is it. So after that, I picked up a few more cards. It was other bits and pieces that I got and acquired or traded or whatever in the playground. And uh, I can remember at Christmas fairs. Do you remember school Christmas fairs where everybody would bring their tat in to sell? Um, so I'd, I'd, I'd buy some cards there. And again, mine were all in really poor condition, like you said, with yours. Uh, dog-eared corners and bits of yeah. sellotape across them and all sorts. But I loved those cards. I really, really did. And uh, I had a reasonable collection. Um, I must. I, I didn't have a full set. Uh, but I had quite a lot of blues and quite a lot of reds. Loved looking through those and uh, and, and sorting through them. Uh, that's a, a, a really good childhood memory, that is. But uh, yeah, that's as far as it goes for me in terms of uh, in, in terms of 70s and 80s. 
Crikey. Right, Norton, you definitely had cards. I did, but I, very similar to Andy. We weren't oh. a um, a chewing gum or bubble gum family. In fact, I've told, I've told you all before about the time I put chewing gum behind my ear like they did in the Beano, and my mum had to cut it out of my hair. So, you know, that, that was probably that was probably why. So I don't remember buying these. Uh, I, I remember buying Panini football stickers. You know, that, that we did buy those. Uh, no bubblegum in those. But I don't remember buying these. But I had quite a few Star Wars ones. I seem to remember having a few Empire Strikes Back ones. Did they? Did we get those here? Because yeah, 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 definitely. Well, well, I, I say yeah, but with no confidence because I'm, I think I've told a story before. And um, the first time I saw anything of the Empire Strikes Back, that even knew it was a film coming out, um, was when my um, neighbour had a bunch of someone had given him or his dad had gone to this it's something about someone had traveled to the states and come back or someone had bought some stuff over exchange and had bought a bunch of empire strikes back cars and he was trading these you know one card for like 10 reds or 10 blues the star wars cars and my brother had loads of spares so we headed over to this little shed in his garden and he was just he was raking in the cards and uh, we got several i've still got those little cards i've got the whole series now but just to have, I had a little handful of cards. The first card we had, I remember me and my brother sitting there. We were looking at this card on the table, you know, hands on heads, just staring down on the table going, what on earth has happened to Han Solo? He's been carbonated and we had no idea what that was about. And for ages we were going, what is, what is happened to him? I was, I think I was disturbed by it, but I always liked those sort of things. And uh, yeah, that was my first introduction to Empire Strikes Back. So I don't remember buying any cards of Empire Strikes Back at all. So maybe they didn't. Uh, maybe British boy Andy can tell tell you. But um, I seem to remember having them. And the Superman ones were the other oh, ones. I remember Superman. really. Superman two particularly with the um, oh Superman two with, with Zod. That's his name, wasn't it? Yes, General yeah, Zod. Yeah, so I remember those, and I and I found it really frustrating with both sets. Star Wars or Superman, because the pictures on the back, I had an, I had enough of them to get sort of a glimpse of what the picture might be, but I never had a full set to be able oh. to actually make the picture. I think I've still got some old battered ones. I can't remember whether they were childhood ones or ones I sort of picked up as an early collector at boot sales and stuff, because I don't know what happened to my childhood ones. Certainly the Superman ones have all, all disappeared. But yeah, really really sort of strong memories of them been around as i said i don't know where mine came from uh, as an ad and not as again relatively recently um from echo two three years ago it was picked up a set from of the blue and the red cards the british ones from mark daniels and nick dykes i think it was so um so i do have those now and i, I love them they do remind me so much of um of that period of time but yeah the actual memories of, of buying them i don't have memories at all oh because yeah there, there was quite a few pictures on the back of those cards i might as well just go through the list because uh we'll get to eventually um so there was the the augie napoli illustration which was like the hildebrandt logo but drawn by a different artist so that was what i remember from last month i was I thinking surely i remember that image then it was a Chewbacca hand, Luke and Obi-Wan. That was uh, in Series 1 as well. Then Series 2 is a Chewbacca. Series 2 is a Tusken Raider. Series 3 is a Luke, Lear and Han image. 
Um, there was an R2D2 CPO and Mechanic in the Series 3 cards. Series 4, there was Chewbacca and Han Solo and the Cantina Patrons in Series 5. So, yeah, there was uh, some great image in the back of those cards. And that was what I think, that's probably what I love more than else, was putting those images together. And then you could tidy it up and then put them together again the next day. It's fantastic. Oh, goodness. How many times I must have put together that Chewbacca, Ham, and Obi-Wan and Millennium Falcon image? Goodness, it must be hundreds. Hundreds. Right. Jason. Uh, you must have been a card guy. You're Scottish. You love your cards. I don't. I don't remember having trading cards as a kid. The only things I really went we had was um, sticker collections, and that was uh, stuff we've covered before. So that was like the Argentina '78 FKS sticker album, Panini football sticker albums, and stuff like that. I'd have thought you know collecting bits of card would have been up your alley in those days, but I'm I'm, I'm shocked by that. I'm actually shocked. I'd have thought you'd have been right into the cards. I've got, I can ask a quick question then. What I noticed just that the card, these top boxes have been going, selling a lot recently. Mm. What are the Empire Strikes Back ones worth? Are they sort of 35 quid? I bought? Not a great deal because I've got them. So they can't be worth that much. So I bought, <laughs> an, got... ET, bought an ET one recently. Oh, I can't remember what I paid for that. 20, 25 maybe? ET, Snaggletooth film. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know. That was another There we go. <laughs> but I bought an ET one and I quite like it. So I was, I've been thinking about getting the others. And obviously, just for Rich, really, I wouldn't do this for any other reason. But since we've been chatting about this, I've been on eBay and I'm now tempted to put together a set of the three Empire Strikes Back ones. But I don't know what. There's someone who must buy it now for £40 each, which seems a lot. But. I've got the three boxes. I've got three empty boxes. I think I've got a couple of packs in them. But yeah, I picked them up for something. I think it was Pete Gow. Do you remember him from the forum yeah, years yeah. ago? Yeah. I picked them all three for 25 quid years ago. Probably about three years ago. I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh, these, I never afford those. So yeah, I've got all three coloured boxes. I was so, well, I think there's only three, probably 500. Yeah. But uh, we'll, we'll find out later. But yeah, it's, it's a really nice display piece because you can kind of shut them up. So they display nicely. Yeah, I, I think they're one of my favourite things in my collection. Uh, one day I might try and fill them up. <laughs> Get some wax packs. You know what? Talk about this. Just reminds me of that 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 smell of the gum. Yeah, because my dad was big into chewing gum. He loves chewing gum ever since he was a kid when he used to meet the soldiers uh, who were over here, the Americans and stuff, who were camped in various places. You know, and he got any gum chum, and he loved his chewing gum. So he used to. I think he probably used to nick it off us. To be fair, he probably used to have slabs of it and he'd nick it. But uh... right, Richard. Uh, you must have had cards. Um, I know you probably got slapped around for having a CFPO with a dodgy appendage, but yeah, you must have had cards. Nope, never had a single one. What? Um, no, I, the only thing I collected back then was football stickers, and that was because it was allowed, because it was, you know, in your in your yeah. DNA to be a Newcastle United fan. So to be a Newcastle United fan, you had to have scarves and uh, hats and gloves and stickers and then you have to complete the full annual um but yeah no i didn't have any i do have a very very vague recollection though of a friend of mine showing me some of these and i want to say the blue and um, blue cards at the time but that's that's all i remember them i don't remember them being in the playgrounds i don't remember people swapping them but football stickers you know we all had pockets and pockets and pockets full of football stickers uh looking to trade those but never star wars cards i reckon it might be an age thing rich i know we're us three a little bit older than you, but I think probably by the time it got round to that kind of year, 
you would have probably gone above Star Wars stuff because I me, mean, I remember being young getting these things. I don't remember being, you know, my, my brother was bringing them back home. Really, I don't, I don't remember swapping too many at school. It, by then, I was into you know, there were other things going on with cards, so it was probably an age thing. I think, I think they might pass you by the Star Wars ones because I think it, you know, considering how many are out there. I think the blue and the red ones are everywhere because everyone I've seen who's talked about the, the cards seems to have a recollection of the blue and red, but no other colours. I'd never had any knowledge that there were other colours until a few years ago, really. We didn't have the other colours released in the UK, did we? We only oh. had the, the blue and red. But that brings us back to Empire Strikes Back. So did we have those here? I assume not if we didn't have the other colours of Star Wars. We had the red set and the blue set um in the in the star wars cards um and it's worth mentioning as well that our blue set is very similar to the american set um so the cards are numbered one to 66 but the british cards you can tell apart because on the back of the cards the colors are generally a bit lighter and a bit brighter than the american ones which have got more of a a gray tone to them Um, the red series whereas the american ones went on um, to be numbered from 67 onwards ours were 1a to 66a so uh, the red cards are very easily told apart um, in terms of british set versus american set moving on to empire as as you said there were three sets of um, empire tops cards the first set was red second set were blue third set were yellow we did get the red set, but only, I think, test marketed in very, very small numbers. Um, so you might have been looking to pick up one of them spoons um, or, or, or some that, of those that, packs. That would explain it, actually, because it's, it's red and empire that I do sort of associate together. Obviously, it's going a long, long time back. But I've, I've got, you know, I, I really remember the Superman 2 cards uh, and my memories good on those i would think it was good on the on the red empire so maybe yeah maybe I did have one or two like i'm assuming kids in the playground gave them to me or had older cousins I used to get a few things handed down from them could well have been uh, stuff like that did, did we have have in this country because i mean it, let's just go through kind of like let's just go through like the list as such so there was four 1977 star wars series we only had like you say that one and two there was four so there was the blue and the red Blue was series one, red was series two, the yellow was series three, and then series four, the oh, green. It was. And then what was series five? The orange. Correct. And that was seventy eight. So these, see, I, I have, I was thinking, okay, so maybe it's just the United States because um, there was all these like inserts and stickers. I don't remember seeing any stickers. Did we have those? No, we we didn't have stickers. It was just uh, the a, a stick of bubble gum plus ten cards for ten us. Cards. No stickers. No stickers. How dare they? Because I keep seeing these stickers. I think where were these when I was a kid? I would have loved the stickers because they're quite groovy. The stickers. They're kind of like shaped, aren't they? A bit a bit odd. They are. I've just got to correct myself there, Pete. It was seven cards per pack, not ten. Seven so, seven, cards. seven, seven oh. cards, one piece of gum, and then the Americans got one sticker, but we didn't. The stickers are great, aren't they? Um, so there's a bright, colourful background, and then usually a, a different colour outlining the character or the spaceship or whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're really eye-catching. So the card collection then went from... So there were 66 in each one, was there? So 66 in 1977 in the blue... Which I've got, so I still got them. I had a look earlier. Got my cards. A little, they're all nicely secured in the loft. I should really put them into a folder, really. 66 again, yes, in series two, and they were numbered and they did continue. So according to this, 
Jelly Temple Archives, uh, one to six, then sixty-seven to one three two. Um, the stickers are also numbered, apparently. That's nice and continued, so you can actually have a run. And they just kept going. But yeah, I was I was wondered. I think I must have seen like a card somewhere at a convention and thought, hang on a minute, I've got like one to hundred and twenty, whatever it is, hundred and twenty-five, whatever. This is like hundred and sixty-seven. Where where was that? Shocking. I'm, I'm, I think I was, I think I've been disturbed as a child. All these things I'm now learning. I'm going, oh my goodness, I would have like eaten people's hands for these cards. So nothing in 1979 gave up on that one. There must have been so many cards in shops. There must have been millions of them. Uh, yeah, the, the was so, I, I don't know if it was 78 or 79, but have you got the sugar-free gum card set? Sugar-free gum? Yeah. Now, apparently, and this is according to my research, I don't know whether it's true or not, but sugar-free gum was made at request of a certain Mr. Lucas. Oh, really? who was worried, worried about the nation's teeth. So, yeah, there, there was a, a sugar-free gum set, um, 56 photo cards, um, and you'd just get one card in each pack with your gum. Um, and there were four different packs, four different wrappers. So uh, there was one with Vader, one with Solo, one with Luke and C-3PO, and one with Leia. Kids' um, teeth must have been falling out left, right and centre, all that gum. Yeah, not if they ate Mr. Lucas's special sugar-free gum. Was that only a United States thing, or did that make it over here? That was US only, I think, yeah. Crikey. Because I'll tell you what, those that UK gum, they weren't small sticks of gum. It's a good job I had a big mouth at the time. They, they weren't like a, a packet of Wrigglers. They were a bit bigger. They were quite slabs of it. Like I seem to remember shoving into my fat mouth. Right, so let's talk about the... So for the Series 1, let's, let's uh, look about the the packs. So was there any differentiation between the pack, the wax packs? Love the wax packs. Only on the back. Um, oh, so the, the, the front... The front of the first series was mostly a black background with C-3PO on it. And on the back, there were adverts. So in America, it was an advert for the Kenner action figures. Obviously, in the UK, it was an advert for Palatoy. Uh, in France, it was an advert for Meccano. Uh, I don't know whether there were any others, uh, any, any other equivalents, but certainly those three. Do you remember Do you remember Bazooka Joe? Uh, I remember the name. I don't, don't remember having it. Does <laughs> anyone else remember that? Does that ring any bells? Yeah, it does. It was used to be in the... Um... The adverts in Marvel Comics that we, you know, we get the American imports and you know, the X-ray specs and Bazooka Joe. I remember in that in that kind of thing. I, I kind of vaguely remember them in shops, but again, it might be might be tricks of memory. Yeah, exactly. I I, I mean, I'm not convinced they were over here, but for some reason, I remember Bazooka Joe because it had a, like a comic in the wrapper. They yeah. definitely were here. Now you say that, yeah, yeah I definitely remember opening those. Again, because I said Dad was into chewing gum, so, you know, kids chewing gum, great. All a bit of a chew. Apparently it's good for you sometimes, um, unless it's too sugary. And, yeah, uh, I just remember his Bazooka Joe thing. So it, it might have been a case that my granddad or something was buying them and giving us the wrappers because they had comics in them because I would have been, you know, comic mad. But, yeah, you yeah, know, looking at the wrappers, I, mean, I, I picked up some Empire Strikes Back wrappers recently, and they're so detailed. They've got so many things on them. They're not like today where it's just really boring. They're full of information and bits and pieces and all sorts, but... Yeah, I love those. Those wrappers are great. I do love picking them up when I can. I haven't got any Star Wars ones, though. Hmm. Boxes. Now, we, didn't we see a box come up recently? It went for some ridiculous amount of money. And remember that? It came about the other day. I think someone, it's like $39,000 or something. I didn't see that, Pete. Is that part of what we were talking about earlier? That people are thinking, well, if they buy a box, then there's bound to be some individual cards in there that are absolute gem mint. Sell individual cards and make a fortune. Well, yeah, it was a sealed box, wasn't it? 
uh, Star Wars cards, and uh, people were commenting on how ridiculous it went for, and it went for like forty thousand dollars, and it's like surely that can't be that can't be true, it can't be. I mean, I guess you could say you know that's just one of those bizarre things, but people were going this, this can't be can't be true. I mean, maybe it was someone who just put an inflated price, sort of like say, oh, look, these are worth loads, and create a bit of a market. But yeah, slightly odd. Was doing the rounds recently. Um, don't think I'm ever going to be buying a box of those if they're that much. But so uh, well, let's continue on the list. Boxes. We have display boxes, obviously. Do you own any of these, Andy, these days? Does this little display box? I do, yeah. I've got the display boxes for the first two um, UK series. Um, so uh, they've both got that... Uh, um, what was that artist's name again? I can't pronounce. <laughs> Orgy. I, I imagine his name was Augustine or something, but Orgy Napoli. That's the in. boy. Yeah, yeah. So you got his artwork on the front. You got oh. a big, uh, a, a big um, Star Wars logo at the bottom. And the only difference between the first series and the second series is that the sides of the box are a different color and the Star Wars logo are a different color. Um, so on the first series, it's a red logo and red sides to the box. Second series, it's yellow got the price on there as well um they've um forget what the price is in the u.s uk boxes it's a big five pence a pack Oof. no one was buying them five p that's probably my pocket money a week <laughs> oh maybe i got 10p i bought two I'm trying to find anything with organapolis image on it a nice poster i see i see there was actually some uh looks like there's a few posts that came out um looks i'm trying to see if it's a poster or it's a a magazine thing there's a 1977 top Star Wars sal sheet. Um, app, it's got it's got the artwork on. Absolutely brilliant. Tops introduces 15 cent Star Wars movie photo cards. Bubble gum. Most exciting scenes from this year's biggest box office bonanza. That is a gore. That, yeah, that's the image you put together. I would love that poster. Maybe it's that poster I really like rather than the actual Hildebrandt one. I don't know. But it is it is a corker because it is slightly off. And it's and it's the opposite way round to the Hildebrandt one as well. Lear's pointing to the right rather than the left. There we go. Yeah, I hadn't spotted that before. You're right. Good eye. So that that um, artwork carried on across the other boxes in the Star Wars series. Um, so very briefly, the yellow series had a box with a pink logo. The green series, the box was more sort of greenish uh, with a yellow logo. And the orange series, it was an orangish box with a dark blue logo. There you go. Um, and again, different coloured wrappers and different characters on the wrappers for each of those different series. Now, according to the SWCA, these were the, there was a Star Wars set in Argentina. And there was actually a box <laughs> as well, or a display. And the only image they could find was the most beaten up box you've ever seen in your life. It was barely in one piece. I read that too on the SWCA, and uh, I think that's about the sum of your and my knowledge, isn't it? Yeah, I, I couldn't find anything else anywhere. That, that, so there we go. They released a set in South America. It seemed to be Argentina. I mean, what a weird kind of, I don't know, it's just a bit of an odd one. I thought it'd been everywhere else, but... Fascinating, fascinating that they went that came out in Argentina, but uh, what, what any other country they came out in? They must have come out in France, surely. Uh, other countries, yeah, France had them because um, they had the ones with the Meccano ad on the wrapper, and then there were also um, some top subsidiaries, weren't there? I think not tops itself, but I, they must be related companies. I think there were some in Japan, Australia, and New Zealand, Canada, and Mexico, I believe. Bazooka is the most fun bubblegum you ever bubbled. <laughs> Bazooka. Bazooka fight. That great bazooka taste! 
those crazy Bazooka Joe and his gang coming. Sarsani Fuckum! Bazooka. Try new Bazooka Soft Sugarless Bubblegum. The whole point of tops, which I obviously covered the history bit, is that they kind of like started with things like baseball cards or football cards, real kind of American thing. I know we had tea cards over here, which was a big thing back in like anything from the early 20s all the way up to modern time. You remember tea cards? You used to get I do, yeah. cigarette cards as well. Cigarette cards were a big thing. Yeah, Brook Bond tea, tea and PG Tips tea. Yeah, lots of those cards. I think they had um, some, there was some sci-fi connection with it. I think there was some Doctor Who cards. And all sorts, all sorts of stuff. I remember selling a bunch of, uh, my dad had kept thousands of cigarettes. I used to be a real smoker. And at the factory at Ford's used to work out. He used to just keep all the cards people just threw away. And I remember we had stacks of them, stacks of these cards worth nothing because they were just so damaged and beaten up. But I remember selling them for a bit, but nothing major. But, oh, my goodness, the amount of john player special cars crazy i just wonder whether it was a thing anywhere else in the world it seemed to be americans and british seem to be obsessed with car collecting cars so did we have any evidence of british empire strikes back cars not the three series no not the red blue and yellow other than as i said earlier um there's the red series which i think were just test marketed here in very small numbers um you can find a red box for those uh, it's extremely hard to come by it's very it, it, i think it's identical um to the american box but with a 10p price sticker um but uh, otherwise that was about the limit in terms of cards the uk did though get an exclusive set of stickers now, with the American set, um, again, you had the cards um, and uh, each pack, I think, had 12 cards and a piece of gum and one sticker. And the stickers this time, um, some of them were initial stickers, so um, initials as in letters. So you'd get a sticker that had got two letters on. And each letter would have an outline in a different colour um, and a picture from the movie um, inside the letter. In the UK, we got sets of just these initial stickers that otherwise were given away singly in the Topps card packs in the States. Um, so there was a retail box, countertop box, um, for Empire Strikes Back initial stickers. Uh, it's a light blue box. It's got a nice picture of Yoda on the front with a red Empire logo and then the yellow writing underneath saying initial stickers. Uh, I don't know how many stickers you've got in a pack, uh, but uh, they were in a, a red wax pack wrapper, and again with Yoda on the front, and these did come packaged with gum. Because they were only sold in fairly limited numbers, uh, again, very hard to come by. I'd love to find one of those initial stickers boxes for my collection. Yeah, because I mean, until looking at this stuff, I never, ever heard of that. I thought, that can't, that couldn't have been a thing that came out in the shops. I bet it was only you London types down south that had them, because, I mean, there's... You know, the big kids fighting to kill each other over those. Yeah, I don't ever don't ever remember them back in the day. So I don't no. know where they were sold, whether it was a national thing or a regional thing. But uh, uh, yeah, th those and then the the red set of card uh, cards, very very uh, short uh, release. That was it as far as we were concerned. So when we say red on the Empire Strikes Back cards, red and blue. Now I've got, like I said, I've got these Empire Strikes Back. I need to have a look at them actually. Uh, they're in the, in the loft. But they were silver on the border, but they had a little kind of like in, you know, around the picture image. And we, I'm assuming we're talking about the colour of that. Yeah, so it's the, the box that they came in and then the um, 
the wrappers were the were the wrappers yes the wrappers were consistent I think so you'd have a, a red counter box a red wrapper and then a red uh, as you say a little border not the full border but a little border around the image on the card back um, and then the, um, likewise blue for series two and yellow for series three but there were more cards in these sets weren't there the initial um, sets the, the the first series for Star Wars were um, sixty six card sets. These were 132 card sets, I think. Oof. How dare they? How dare they make more cards and we couldn't have them? How dare they, Andy? Now, I picked up not too long ago, didn't know these existed either, giant size cards. What? Actually, I, sh- I should really hunt these down because they're actually quite easy to get hold of. And they're actually pretty cool. I mean, I've just got a sealed pack. Empire Strikes Back giant photo cards. <laughs> exactly. What's all that yeah. about? Yeah. Thirty in a set. It's a nice big card, yeah. uh, but you got one card. You bought your pack. You got one card in it. No gum. I thought I think that's a that's a bit of a rip off, really. Now that is that would have disappointed me as a kid. I got to say, although the wrapper is nice and big, so you can make you'll probably cover your wall. You'll probably have a wall just of wax wrappers from these things. It is. It's a nice big bright yellow wrapper, isn't oh, it? Yeah, and, it's a and these these all these all came in a in a, a nice blue counter display box. And uh, yeah, thirty to collect uh, on the back of each card. Uh, I think there's a checklist um, of uh, the cards that were available. And uh, yeah, no, nice nice big movie images. Fairly easily come by. There's plenty on eBay. Plenty on Facebook. Yeah, you see them quite a lot. It's one of the things you can. Oh, I'll, I'll I'll get into that later. I'll put it onto the like the onto the list of things. I guess in the Empire Strikes Back, we had a couple of random items, didn't we? We had the candy heads, which again, very good collectible items. You see them quite a lot. You see the boxes, you see complete boxes or or full boxes. Nice little things as well. I keep missing these. They come up loads of times, and I just go, oh, I'll, I'll, again, I will put it to the back burner. I just want a torn-torn one. So if anyone's got a taunt to one out there, let me know. But these are cracking, weren't they? What was it? There was uh, Jason's probably got a few of these because there's a two wouldn't be in there. What else have we got? Yeah, there was two series, wasn't there? So there was yes. a red series first. And in there you got Vader, Stormtrooper, 3PO, Fett and Chewie. And those were little pill-shaped candy pieces, if I remember rightly. Uh, and then the second series in a yellow box. This is where it started to get a bit weird. So you got <laughs> you got your torn torn. Yes. You got Bosk. You got Yoda, and you got two one B. What a yeah, lovely assortment. Yeah, because again, we we've talked about this before. There's no there's no this sort of thing will be hard to sell of someone's head, wouldn't it? Let's face it. You got Han Solo. They ain't gonna do a good job on that. So that's why you've got monsters and robots because they're yeah it's it's all creatures and armored characters helmets and things like that isn't it so they're really nice they're little busts of the character so it's just just the helmet the head um and then the the neck piece um sort of revolves so you can get your candy out you twist it around so the hole opens and you pop out your little bit of candy uh but they're, they're they're nice sculpts they look good on a shelf they're very collectible and i, I remember buying these in wh smith as a kid oh uh, I think we only had the red set. Um, don't think the yellow set ever made it over here. Um, the red ones, um, they were, again, in uh, tops boxes. So the, they were in American boxes, but they were stickers applied for the distributor, which was the House of Clarks from Dagenham, and a 10p sticker over the American price label as well. Um, so, yes, th- those are th- those those are another good memory from my childhood. I think we've got to mention, though, the Chewbacca. I mean, Bosk looks like a dog. But Chewbacca is having a right old laugh at somebody. Look at him. 
Look at that pig. Look at that image. He's got his mouth open. He's happy. He wants you to have his lovely candy outside of his head. Is that a laugh or is that a snarl? I'm not I sure. Think I, I think that's a genuine laugh. I mean, the Stormtrooper's got a lovely grin on him. He's got a real broad grin. Goes from almost cheek to cheek. Um, yeah. Torn Torn's look a bit cheeky. But that Chewbacca, that's a beauty. Laugh it up, Fuzzball. And we also had poofy stickers, which I actually have a set. Well, I have some. I couldn't find more than one set, but there we go. Maybe there were. But poofy stickers, they're exactly what they are. They seem to be a thing everywhere when I was a kid. Poofy stickers. You still get them now. You still get poofy stickers now. They're kind of like sort of like slightly raised um, stickers. They're not, not, you know, not just flat bits of paper. They've actually got a bit of energy to them, a bit of... <laughs> a bit of uh, I don't know what you would call it. They're slightly raised, aren't they? And soft and nice. They're poofy. Lovely and poofy. I like a poofy set. But yeah, they weren't the most exciting stickers, I gotta say. Um and mine I haven't really opened them, so there we go. We got a Fet, a Yoda, R2D2, Stormtrooper, Chewbacca. No one in real dynamic poses apart from Vader and maybe the uh the probe droid. Everyone else is a bit kind of like mm-hmm, there we go. But yeah. Another little thing Tops did, quite fun. Right, anything else in Empire Strikes Back? Any other bits of oddity? Have we missed anything? Not that I know of, just scanning through my little list here. Yeah, that's strange. Oh, what, a, what about the rack packs? Rack have, packs? Have we mentioned the rack packs? We have not mentioned rack pack. What are rack packs? I rack packs. Rack packs, again, as far as I know, this is a US only thing. So, oh, uh, it's Americans. Uh, <laughs> so I may not be entirely accurate here, but rack packs, I believe, are a selection of cards in clear plastic wrapping. So they would sort of concertina out. And rack packs, I, I guess these would have been sold so, so you could actually um, display them on, on racks in the in the grocery stores. Oh. Um, so you could sort of see some of the cards that you were getting. Uh, it's just, just a different way of displaying them, I think. I don't think they were unique cards. Um, but uh, yeah, rack packs. Rack Google it. Packs. That sounds amazing. I, I want a rack pack now. No, I don't. Probably too expensive. Right. Oh, and the, the yeah, the other thing. Nearly forgot, and I, I I'm not quite sure where this came in or how you get them. But there's a little box, a little fold out box that you can get to keep your cards in for Empire Strikes Back. Oh. Uh, I've got got one in a folder of mine somewhere upstairs um a flat pack box and you can sort of press it out and fold it round to make it to make your box bright red with the empire strikes back logo on it oh yes i have one of these i've got a, oh yes i've got a fl- i picked it up from celebration there i've got go. one of these i've got it i've got it flat pack though <laughs> it's a flat yeah my, mine's mine's flat packed yeah so oh, you, you yes. fold it out and I, and I guess it's just somewhere to keep your trading cards in. just a little box god because i've just looked at the picture because this this is amazing picture this is a uh a blister carded set so you've got an amazing empire strikes back logo darth vader and they're looking really good and then you've got 80 movie photo cards plus collecting box and they're i imagine they i think it i think they're shrink wrapped no maybe they're bubbled onto a backing card that's amazing so that's where it came from i always wondered what that box was for yeah me too never never knew where it came from <laughs> now we have found that's the good, good info we've educated ourselves we have by randomly looking through an archive there we go look at that uh, there it is there's there's the link yeah that's a gorgeous hey, look any, any other ones though no just the one 80 cards Oof, i'd have been in heaven with that oh that'd have been awesome 
But yeah, yeah. See, see, I might get another one of those, those boxes. I got for like three dollars, I think, from some guy in, on a celebration in the yeah, states. I just thought a little bit of tap from Empire Strikes Back stuff. No idea what it was. Didn't even ask. Just thought. I think that probably... I think those might have gone up a little bit since. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, he had he had loads of them. So I imagine he had a you know some stash. But you know, you can get. I mean, that's why I missed some celebrations and things like car boots and all that sort of stuff. You can get bargains. I think I saw one of these on Deal or No Deal recently at something like twenty five bucks. Not that bad. Probably cost me that in fuel yeah. to get to the States in my plane. <laughs> right. Uh, Return of Jedi. Now, you see, I have again, I have no recollection or I knew anything about these. Um, even when I was back into collecting, I didn't know there was any cards. Just knew there were stickers. Didn't know there were cards. But must have been a US thing, I guess. That's because we never had cards here, Pete. No, cards bypassed us completely for Return of the Jedi. We had the Panini stickers and the sticker albums, which were very popular. Uh, especially popular with Mr. Smith there, Ooh. but uh, I mean, never never had cards. <sighs> Shocking. Appalling. You see, yeah, I mean, have you have you guys ever thought about going in and finishing all these sets off? I mean, I was sort of tempted. I thought sort of price. I thought, you know what? I said, I think I said just said earlier, I've got my, my first two sets. You know, all the memories of me and my brother collecting these sets. I think I'm quite happy with those. I've got a few odds and sods, like I said, but I don't think I need any. I've got I've got my stickers. I've got my Return of Jedi stickers, Empire Strikes Back stickers. What are you guys? Anyone else think about collecting the whole range? Because I think, Richard, you did collect the whole range, didn't you? I had the first, I had the five sets of trading cards loose, but uh, I wasn't really interested in the stickers. And yeah, I think once I got down to that route, I thought, nah, n- not really for me. Must be quite worth quite a lot these days, actually, those. You don't well, see them over here. Anyway. <laughs> it could be any anything from the true value, which is probably thirty-five pound a set, yeah. up to you know three hundred quid a set now. Who knows what they're worth? It is, but they are they are good. I mean, you know, if you stick them into a nice folder, I mean, I've seen people do it. You know, you get those special card folders. It is, it is really nice just to go through them and have a look and do it. But all, the, the only thing is, and this is probably some sort of like heresy, I'll be locked up. They do all look a bit like the same, really. It's not that interesting. Yeah. yeah <laughs> There's more it's exciting just... sets of cars out there. Like I said, yeah. some of these modern ones are actually pretty cool. Um, the first set they released, the Star Wars Galaxy cars, they have got some brilliant artwork on them. Um, they've taken art from, uh, you know, uh, Macquarie art cars. They've done uh, production cars. They've just got – it's a brilliant series. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm very tempted to start collecting those Galaxy cars. Really nice. But, yeah, a bit samey, but – you know, it's a lot of lot of cards out there. Pete, there's one that you've not talked about in the British line, which 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 is quite exciting. It might be on my list. Hang on, go on. It's a it's a green card. Oh, I, I, I don't know whether it's exciting to you, but it was certainly exciting for him. Do you know what I'm thinking about? Yeah, yeah. The the the, the costume fail. The the yes, the wardrobe malfunction. What number is it? Let's just get it out there. What's what's the number of cards? A green card, isn't it? It is a green card. I don't actually know the number, but yeah, it's a C-3PO card. And what's happened is that there's a little piece. Uh, um, basically, in the C-3PO costume, Anthony Daniels had a pair of shorts that he was wearing around his midsection. And on those shorts, there was a flexible sort of rubber material painted gold um, that was attached to these shorts. And this rubber material was coming away from the cloth shorts and it was sticking out at a bit of an angle. <laughs> and when the photographer took the picture that was subsequently used on this top trading card, it looked as if C-3PO was particularly excited. It has caused a bit of a stir in collecting circles, hasn't it? 
Uh, is, it, is it actually worth that much? Because it seems to be there's always like a bit of a, oh, it's amazing, I need that car, but it's not the, that much, the, is it? It's not big. The goldenrod variety is more uh, common than the, the, the non-goldenrod, though, isn't it? <laughs> it is, you're right. But because of the, the the interest from collectors, it always does go for a bit of a premium. Yeah, not not a huge value, but yeah, there's a, there's a bit of extra interest that puts it above other other trading card value. But yeah, I mean, um, I got to say, I'm quite a fan of seeing cards um, have been graded. I'm not a fan of the grading system, but I like I don't know if you if you've seen the card um, the little card cases. Someone gave me a Princess Leia and a Luke Skywalker years ago in in a Secret Santa. Uh, it's very nice of them. And uh, it's really it's really nice actually to have that card in a in one of those little kind of cases. I think I'd prefer to have mine kind of encased in a in a case. I do like to get the cards out because you can see the back and the front. Then I know it's like yeah, if you get comics graded, for example, you you can't open it, so it's kind of like defeats the object. I know it's encased forever, blah blah blah. But for the cards, it actually works quite well. I've seen a lot of like collecting shows where people have got boxes of these cards in in like. You know, little collecting cases. I, I I do actually quite like that. I mean, I I would actually be quite tempted to get some some of my cards in those cases. I know if, if you've seen those, I know what I'm talking about. But they're actually pretty cool, and they're good for storage, good to keep your cards safe. Or you get those big folders that you know you see people with ma- massive, great big ring binders of cards going around, getting them signed and all sorts. But uh, I think that's quite a, quite a cool thing to actually display. You can actually easily mount those up on a frame. Uh, obviously, with the tops ones, we've talked a little bit about the, the backs. You've got those images. Um, would make a nice favor if you can get a. I did have quite a rough set of blue cards. Um, I guess it must have been the rejects of my rejects, which must have been pretty bad condition. But I could almost make up that that uh, that Orgy Napoli image on the back. And I was thinking about framing it, and I just kind of lost the will to live, really. Because um, I, I needed a few more, I thought I can't be bothered. But yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot to do with these cards. I mean, obviously, on the backs of the cards, we haven't really mentioned. You've got little quizzes, you've got bits of information, you've obviously got the images you can make up. So you know, there's not just cards; they've got stuff to to do. You know, you actually have a bit of activity to play with. So you know, these that that's why they kept people like me interested. Because they had something else on the card, you know, you wanted to find out what the next card had, or can you complete your image? So these cards were just, you know, there was there's something special. We got off at a bit of a tangent, then we haven't done Jedi yet. Oh, oh yes, of course. Well, we we, so, we were sort of talking about Jedi. We were sort of talking about Jedi very very quickly. Two series in the states: series one, uh, red cards in a blue box with four different pack variants. So there's Vader, there's Jabba, there's Luke, and there's Wicket. Ten cards in each, along with one sticker and one piece of gum. And then the second series, uh, which are the blue cards, and again, four different pack variations, all in red packs. So you've got an Ewok, you've got 3PO, you've got Lando, and you've got Leia. And those came in a yellow display box. Not a lot more to say about those, really. But there was another set of candy heads. Have you seen those? The Adirondack Bar one is phenomenal, isn't it? I, I do love these. And the the the, the bright green luminous well, you don't green want that trousers though. I gotta say, it'll be <laughs> slightly disturbing. So who, who else have we got? We got got some unusual choices in there, haven't we? Yeah, I don't know why I've not collected these. They're so cool, and I've seen them come up loads. I just I don't know. I just got, got lazy, lazy collecting. So you got Akbar, you got Baby Ewok, which is so cute. Darth Vader one is that a, is that the same? No, it's not the same, is it? It's actually a better it's, version of Darth Vader. It is. It's a, a totally new sculpt for Vader, and it's better because the other one was just all over the shop. 
You've got Java, which is his head. <laughs> Again, don't want that poking out your pocket. Looks a bit suspicious as you're a kid. Size noodles, which that's yeah. the one that surprises me. That's that's an odd choice, isn't it? It is, and of course, you know the big thing about size noodles is the you know the mouth thing sticks out, but this is kind of like strapped to the side. So you're almost kind of thinking, really, could have done better than that? Why don't we get a General Medine one, and then obviously another another um, Ewok? But um, ooh, I gotta say, I gotta say, I do like the Adam Lackbar one, but the baby Ewok one is extremely cute. It is, but uh, no, Jabba's my favourite simply because of the colour scheme. That bright green with bright with big red eyes. Yes, yeah, they, they are cool. Give me nightmares as a kid. That would, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it would slightly. It is. A, I mean, I don't know. I mean, they've never really got, apart from the vintage figure, Jabba's always. They, people struggled with Jabba quite a lot to to make a good model of him. Even all the modern stuff, people do struggle with Jabba. I don't know what it is. It just seems to be that that one, the vintage one, it's always so nice. But then everyone struggled with getting a good Jabba look like this. Well, there you go. It's just a blob with eyes, isn't it? Let's face it. Can't be a blob with eyes. Are those uh, rarer to harder to get hold of, rather than the Empire ones? I can't say I've seen too many Admiral Akbar ones come up, I've got to say. Yeah, I don't think so. We we didn't get those here. We, uh, we didn't get these or the second series Empire ones. So they don't come up that often here. But I, I, I think they're easy enough to come by if you want them. Jason, there was, we did cover this a while ago, didn't we? In the Panini section we did. I didn't realise this, and of course many people don't. There is a top album, isn't there? Stick around. Yeah, so the, I mean, the, main, the main difference from the Panini album is the, the Topps album has the, the Topps logo where the Panini logo was on the, on the Panini album, the bottom left-hand corner. Uh, the top right-hand corner, there's a white box that says the cost of the sticker album, which is 25 cents. And then the four pictures on the front, they're not mirror reverse. They're reversed versus the Panini one. So the Ewok <laughs> is in the bottom right-hand corner versus the bottom left-hand corner on the Panini version and, and, and vice versa. So they're, they're, they're kind of swapped around. The actual sticker packets themselves are much, much more common than the Panini ones. And the Panini ones are really hard to get. So, you know, most of the ones that that were for sale in the, the UK were the Tops ones. Why did we have Tops and Panini? I mean, were they just part of the same company or why did we have these two? Well, top, exact- tops, had, tops had the American branding on it and Panini got every, everything else. So that's how it was kind of dished out for that particular album. The sticker packet says Tops in the top right-hand corner uh, versus the Panini one. Collecting-wise, you can get um, a sticker box which is in red they're a lot more common than the panini ones which are in blue and then you can also get um, a red collecting box for the sticker albums which is a, a big square red box with about um, a number of the number of the albums in it what what's sort of the price difference if you're collecting the, the sticker packs between tops and panini what's the is there a much of a price difference or is it rarity or what's the what's the difference yeah I mean, it's really hard getting the panini sticker packets um i've got some where they were coming up for maybe you know five pounds a packet or round about that um most of the people who are selling them don't seem to realize that they've got the rare panini ones for sale but the tops ones uh well you know you pick them up for a, a couple of quid so you know they are they are much rarer and the obviously the the tops ones are uh much cheaper as a result. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't mention it, Jason, because there's so many sellers out there, they probably don't know. Because that's just thing that wouldn't occur to you, would it? So they look the same, they're the same kind of thing, fine, you know, same kind of album, blah, blah, blah. You just wouldn't know. I bet people are sticking in all sorts of stickers, the same well, album, different albums. 
I'm trying to fill my my blue my blue sticker box, and you know I've got a few you know mint sticker sticker packs. The the other trouble is that they, they they come open very easily, so a lot of them the adhesive has come loose, so they're very hard to get whether the adhesive is still stuck on. Well, on both sets, Jason, or just just the tops ones? The Panini ones especially. I mean the the, the tops ones seem to be better sealed from what I can see. So yeah, tops they ha- they haven't finished with Star Wars. They had a little break after they did uh, the Channel Jedi series in '83, a ten-year break, and they picked up with the Star Wars Galaxy range. And I said, I think I've just mentioned those are really nice cards. You just like cards, um, they have some really great images. Um, I started picking up just just like this, the Slave Leia ones, uh, Princess Leia ones. Um, then I started getting Padme ones, <laughs> and then I said, oh, I'm just going to buy the whole lot. Uh, they are really nice, and they haven't they haven't stopped there. They've done a lot of series every year since then. They're really collectible. Some of the series are really hard to get because they do sort of chase cards and foil cards and all sorts. It's actually quite a fun thing to do to actually collect these cards. Obviously, not having shows at the moment, it's harder to get hold of them. But I think it's something I'm gonna, really going to get into when I when we get back into moving around and doing stuff because. The Star Wars cards, most of the, the, the early ones are really, really nice cards. They display really well. And um, there's all sorts. They cover you know, art from the EU. They cover art from development. They cover you know concept art from all the films. Every film's got a set of cards. If you, get, you want to get into it, collecting things, Star Wars trading cards are definitely, definitely recommended uh, way to go. I mean, they produced five new card sets last year. Really good round of guys. Loved it. All right, well, we're finished there. We're doing another one next month. Now we'd like to welcome back Eric Walker for Rapid Fire. Your favourite sci-fi movie? Empire Strikes Back. If you could play any other Star Wars character apart from Mace, who would it be and why? Luke Skywalker. Who doesn't want to be the Jedi? Fantastic. Good answer. Ewoks or Gungans? Ewoks. Star Wars prequel trilogy or sequel trilogy? Prequel. Mace Tawani or Mace Windu? Mace Tawani. It's got to be, hasn't it? Yeah. George Lucas or John Corty? John Corty. And finally, question we ask all our guests, if the apocalypse is upon us, the Earth is being destroyed, we're all being evacuated on a space shuttle to another planet, your family are all safe, you've got all your basic necessities, what's the one item from your collection that you're going to grab to take with you on that shuttle to a new world? My, uh, my, Grogu, my, that, uh, an- that my Grogu doll that animates. Fantastic. That's a good answer. Fantastic. Eric, thank you so much indeed. You're welcome. My pleasure, guys. 
Right, okay then, so feedback on episode 81, uh, quite a lot over on Stars for Me OK, so I'll start there first, so Stubbs, thanks for mentioning it was a great episode, and love the Bob Breakin interview. Chipsteak, very sad as I said at the start of the show that he's now passed on, but it's nice to see Stars for Me OK has put a, a touching um, avatar in there for Chipsteak in memory of the glowing sabre. Thanks for another show, Bob sounds like a lovely guy, and it was a pleasure listening to him, Bob absolutely was a lovely guy. Uh, Partai Junkie John Aves, another super listen. Thanks very much for your efforts, fellas. I'm totally with you, Peter and the Muppets in Sesame Street. I used to get so excited as a kid saying, Oh, today, don't say 3PO on the street. I don't believe I ever saw the 1980s Muppets episode of More Camel back in the 80s, unfortunately. I think I would have passed out with excitement if I had. I do have that episode now on a bootleg DVD featuring the holiday special, and it also has 50 original Kenner Toy ads on it. The Bob Breakin interview was great, I never get tired of listening to him. Thanks for the mention, Jason. Yeah, I happened to be lucky with timing and saw the BH log on eBay. Thought I was looking at just another 82 issue at first, and again, lucky it was a bin. Said I had no idea what he had. Very interesting that the first issue has that gloss finish too. Mint condition example would look outstanding. Uh, really hope you find one, mate. I will, of course, keep looking for you. Love the segment on Waddington's amazing stories and the special Monopoly sets. I wonder if any had survived. Uh, he's very happy to pick up both of the Star Wars action jigsaw puzzles at Father's Farm a couple of years back. I think I bought both of mine from there too, John. And he's done what I never did. Um, he's actually put the jigsaws together and they look absolutely amazing. Gadas, another superb episode. Great work, guys. Nice to get another mention from Pete for my recent purchases. The Money Bank purchase was inspired by the coverage you guys gave to Metalbox, especially with having them in a presence in my town. It's certainly a great item. Bob Breakin interview was interesting as nice he has connections to Oxford. And a mention of the mighty Oxford United. The one in the section was a real surprise to show for me. Information on Monopoly and its role in the war was not something I've previously been aware of. Got Kate or Darth Bobby finally getting caught up in the podcast. Good luck with the move, Rich. We've just moved back up north. It kind of takes over your life. Spent this week decorating and listened to past episodes. Love the Bob Breakin interview. He's such a legend. Yep, absolutely. Speaking of the 79 interview, Craig Miller, uh, that was great. What a phenomenal job. I look forward to reading his book, Amazing Stories. It seems like a really nice bloke. Just fishing, listening to the CS Christmas catalogue challenge. £60 when you get you a chilled clatter these days. Prices are so crazy. Keep up the great work, lads, and I'll get back to decorating. Absolutely thanks, guys, for leading us all of that uh, feedback over stars from UK. Now, we've also had some um, feedback over on Facebook, so I'm just going to pop in there and check to see that now. So apologies once again for last um, show being a little bit late. So Jeff Tilly, editing is not the easiest job. Well done, Chris, for stepping up. Absolutely, Jeff. Chris does an amazing job on our YouTube videos and um, equalising the sound on our podcast when we finish it all. Ross Cargill, great episode. Bob indeed, a legend and deserves all the praise he can get. Palatoy Action Force was always my second favourite toy line after Star Wars. Uh, David Reader, another good exam- another good episode. Bob is a lovely bloke. And nearly ran a red light trying to work out an answer from the quiz. Tut, 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 David. Jason Langendorfer, who we've had on the show before. Really enjoyed listening to the interview with Bob Breakin yesterday. Great insight in the early days of Palatoy. Nice job, fellas. I also agree wholeheartedly that Palatoy desktop blows away the Kenner version. So thanks, guys, for um, that feedback. And everybody who left us feedback on Instagram, um, which has been responded to by uh, Chris Porteous. Um, also, thank you to Lee Gregory for sending us photographs of um, the Best Bin cardboard playset that we talked about a few episodes back. It's nice to see that coming along. A special shout out also to Neil Lowry over on Twitter, who is continuously tagging us in positivity posts. That's really nice of you, Neil. It's very much appreciated. If anybody wants to leave us any feedback, you can send an email to swtvrpodcast at gmail.com or you can search a Vintage Rebellion on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or you can message any one of us over on Facebook. We are all friendly guys, even Pete. 
Right, guys, you know, great episode this show. Huge, huge, huge thanks for Eric Walker coming on the show. Um, I know we're going to get some uh, positive feedback on that one, so thank you very much for coming on and raising our show to the next level. So, guys, um, great episode this month. Ahead to now the 23rd of March. We're recording a little bit late. We need to get this sorted out and get our episodes recorded back on time so we can spend a bit more time editing. Um, but, obviously, trying to make the editing a little bit easier this month. I'll shut up now, and it's goodbye from Pete. Don't forget to get your swaps in for a Marvel 1 with a badge. It's goodbye from Andy Spoons. Goodbye, everyone. It's goodbye from Jason Smith. See you later, everyone. And it's goodbye from Andy Preston. Cheers, guys. Stay safe, everybody. May the force be with you. And it's a later, guys, from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual property rights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? <coughs> right, okay. For that, 11 o'clock, what's going on? Can I have a, have a kip? Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting up in a minute. <laughs> right. Crazy man, crazy man. Where's my recording software? I've got it recorded, don't you? Yeah, I know you have. Uh, All right, your sound has changed since your since before the tops, Rich. Sort of, yeah, sort of. Not not in a bad way. Since um, it's sort of deeper or something. Oh, just because I'm trying to keep your voice down a bit. The, it's the late night tones on the vintage. <laughs> <laughs> Hello there, it's Hutchinson. Um, the, the, late. The, the, um, God save the Queen's going to be playing soon. <laughs> right, so guys, I'm back. Right, okay. Uh, sorry about the noise that was here. Uh, the, yeah. Some people haven't uh, adjusted to this yet. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay then. <laughs> Action figure going and your time starts now. That was brilliant, Jason. Absolutely amazing. I love <laughs> is he not that. gone outside, is he? Very, he's gone outside very his, his clap. Or his, very passionate. Or his thingamajig. He's gone, yeah. gone outside. Oh, here I am. He's right. got, oh, he's he's back. got the clap, has he? Right, okay. <laughs> yes. It, 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 a bit different, yes. <laughs> very yeah, different, good fun. Thanks, Jason. Fun. Yeah, Do you know what? Different. Rich, did you hear about the, um, the guy that was kind of a really urgent COVID vaccine case because of his BMI? Did you hear about this in the news? He was basically had had a BMI of thousands because the NHS had logged his height as six point two centimeters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw six that. foot two. <laughs> yeah, but you the NHS's me. website would have been clear rather than Jason's questions. <laughs>